0: What's up, guys? It is Monday, July 16th, 2018, and this is the MMA Hour. Thank you so much for joining me. I greatly appreciate it. Oh, and by the way, Caesar's home. Fun show planned for you guys today, a busy show. Going to be chopped up a little bit differently today. It's going to go like this. Three guests at 1220 will be joined by UFC Bantamweight champion TJ Dillashaw. He will be here 1 o'clock East Coast time. He's going to preview his upcoming fight at Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series. Not tomorrow, but the following week. Nick Newell will be here at the, uh, was he the Westland gangster? The, the Oregon gangster? You know who he is. Chael P. is going to be here at 1.30 for the Monday Morning Analyst segment. So here's how this is going to go. We're going to do the sound off at 12.35. We'll do a little bit of editorial commenti- commentating, probably around one i I've got some surprises for the set at the end of the show and uh, your tweets at actually the beginning of it. So a lot to get to. Thank you so much for joining me. I greatly appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, time for a high-energy Monday. Let's have some fun on this show. Hope you had a good weekend. I did. I did nothing all weekend except relax, run errands, watch some World Cup, and, uh, you know, hang out with my dogs, that kind of thing. I kept it real low-key, so I am ready to go right now. And, of course, I watch the fights as well, from the Pacquiao fight on ESPN+, Plus to, of course, all the Bellator, all the UFC. And we're going to talk about all of that. All right? Um, all right, so let's get this show going. No need to waste a whole lot of time. You know this gentleman. He is the arequipe to my pan, the arroz to my frijoles. The one and only Danny Segura is here. Danny, how are you, sir? I'm good. How, how about you? Well, look at that. Low energy, Danny. Low energy, need what, to step it You want me to yell on the mic? You got you to gotta pump it up, buddy. How was your weekend? It was good. It was actually pretty good. Did you do anything worth telling the audience about? Played soccer. So that's Watched, a watched no. the World Cup. Uh,
1: hung out. Nothing, nothing too crazy. Now, we should clarify for the audience, we are not Eskimo brothers, correct? We are not. <laughs> yeah, that was probably the most searched term on... <laughs> What was that on like Thursday? Uh, when did he drop that bomb? Yes, I think, I think about it yeah on Thursday. Thursday. Yeah. Were you surprised when he said that? I'm talking about Brendan Schaub and Dana White, of course. No, I'm not. Surprised. Really, you were not? No, I'm surprised where it went, but I'm not surprised of like the degree. I guess. What do you mean where it went? Well, I didn't know that's the route that they were going to take. Then next thing you know, we're going to be all searching uh, Eskimo brothers. Did you now? Here, I'll be honest about this. When he when Brendan put that out, I
0: did not know what that term meant, and I okay. thought I was to be quite honest with you pornographically depraved. I did not know that Eskimo Brothers meant what it meant. Did you know? I did. You did? not yeah. How did you know? Because I'm a millennial. I know. Oh, is it a millennial term? I'm young, yeah. Are you lit AF right now, millennial? Not AF, just lit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, well, we got a lot to get to. TJ Dillashaw, 1220, is going to be here. 12, excuse me, 1 o'clock, Nick Newell, 130, JLP, Sonny. we got a lot of editorial content to get to in between. Before we get to these tweets, and I'm going to explain why we're splitting it up in just a second,
1: uh, your highlight of the weekend in terms of combat sports was what? Mm, I would go with uh, Michael McDonald's uh, finish. Uh, I was, you know, Dudu Dantas is tough as nails. Uh, that guy's super skilled, and just the way he finished the fight. I know there was a bit of not controversy, but there was an injury there, a, a pretty nasty injury. But I don't think, I don't think that led to the result. Michael McDonald looked amazing, so that that was a big. Big big player for Bellator. Whenever you have a catastrophic injury, which, which is what that was, it yeah.
2: was
0: truly catastrophic, there's always going to be an element to which uh, people will say that did or did not impact the result. I'm fine saying it did. I'm fine saying it didn't. But that was after he landed clean. Had landed a yeah. hard shot on Dantas. But Dantas wasn't done. And the way he sort of like imploded on top of his ankle is, uh, was a disaster. But I would agree with you. That was a really impressive performance. There was a lot of impressive performances. I want to start off recapping the weekend if we can, right? And the reason why we're going to separate the tweets is, look, I don't know if this is going to work. This could be a disaster, right? Separating the tweets from the voicemails. But the voicemails are so good, I kind of want to keep them separate and see how it goes. And the thing is, we've not been even getting to the tweets hardly at all on the show. So maybe if we break it up, it'll be better. And there's a fly in the studio. Pretty sweet, huh? Yeah, it comes comes with flies. All right. Okay, low
1: energy, Danny. We have these tweets teed up, ready to go? We do, and we have a familiar face coming up first. Okay, familiar in what context? Uh, Somebody that works on the site. All right,
0: let's see. Oh, I know who this is. D-Bag McGee. All right, (laughs) hang on. Mm. Nothing quite like a guy with a law degree putting doctor in front of his name. Gotta love that. All right, so UFC Boise was over the weekend. Let's start the discussion here. Uh, from the MMA hour hashtag, JDS called for a trilogy fight with Stipe. Thoughts? Stipe's chin appears to be fading, been dropped in his last few fights and KO'd by DC. Does that go back up for just a second? Does that change the math on a third fight? Let me go back and just talk about this fight for a second if I can with JDS and Lagoy Ivanov. Now, I actually thought that Ivanov would do a little bit better than he ended up doing. I kind of thought that Ivanov would get in his face, and he did eventually, but he just couldn't really put together any meaningful combinations. The takedown, I forgot, you know what I forgot? I forgot how good JDS's takedown defense is. It's incredible, right? I mean, there was never really a point where he's even tested, to be quite honest with you. Not much of one, really. Um, so that was really good. So he was going to be forced to exchange on the feet. And I did think that JDS got busted up a little bit over time. Um, he's certainly not the same fighter that he was before the Kane Wars. But in the end, I thought he looked okay, to be quite honest with you. Certainly um, back on track in that division. I don't, you know, how far from a major fight against a big name, I don't know. But in the end, many of the weapons he's developed are still there. I do think some of his defensive liabilities are still kind of hanging out there. He still took a little too much damage for my taste. Um, but he was able to u- use the jab. I-, I thought at first he had great footwork. He was trying to find the, the home run right hand, and it wasn't quite there. But in the end, um, he was able to make it essentially the fight work. It's just that Ivanov couldn't get anything really working at all. And so as a consequence, JDS was still eating some shots. They were trading right hands on occasion, but uh, or le- well, left and right, depending on what it was. But you get the idea. Now, the question was about Stipe in his third fight. Did you see... Danny, did you see Brett Okamoto's report this morning? I didn't. You did not see it? No, fill me in. Let me bring you up to speed on this one. I thought yeah. this was kind of interesting. Uh, Stipe told him that he can't believe that Brock Lesnar is going to get a title shot. This is a guy that hasn't won a fight since, what, 2010? And, I mean, of course, the Mark Hunt fight was overturned. That This is a guy that was suspended for using PEDs. Technically, he was actually not using PEDs, just banned substances. The 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 things he tested positive for... They actually carry a less of a suspension than what Chad Mendes tested positive for because they, in and of themselves, do not have performance-enhancing qualities. They merely, according to WADA, mask uh, usage of things that actually do. So, whatever, just to be technical about it. Uh, certainly, they're banned. Yep. Right. How is this guy going to give a title shot over me? I deserve a rematch. He also sort of indicated he thought he was raked in the eyes a little bit. Now, what's interesting about that, and uh, it was brought up pretty quickly thereafter, prior to this contest, even a month ago... Stipe was saying he'd be happy to fight Brock after defeating Cormier. You see a lot of this all the time. So-and-so's like, yeah, I'll fight so-and-so. fight doesn't go their way, and they want a rematch. And they say, how could it possibly be that this X or Y character floating out there gets it ahead of time? My, my, my thought is, I actually wouldn't mind seeing a third JDS Stipe. I still think Stipe's game is at a higher level than JDS's. The rematch, I was there for it in Dallas. Obviously, it did not go JDS's way at all. I would still favor Stipe. In a third fight. In fact, let me look up the rankings here real quickly. One of the main things that we noted was if you lose a fight, a title fight, you often just fall to number one contender. Sure enough, here's Stipe, the number one contender. So my thought is if you're Stipe, let Cormier have his Lesnar fight. You're not going to stop that freight train. It's going to happen. They're not going to give him a uh, a rematch, nor frankly should they, especially given that everyone's position on this is just contingent upon their own circumstances and whatever is necessarily advantageous to them but i think you do stipe jds three stipe coming off a loss jds coming off of a win have them meet
1: in the middle you can do a lot with that actually i'd be totally fine with that and it could determine the number one contender these two guys are obviously former champs so that has some weight on it i know there's some other contenders out there but as far as like name value these two would be right up there your takeaway from jds how do you look coming back he looked good. Um, Still takes I, too much damage, man. He does, but, I mean, Ivanovic is one of these guys that will maul you. You know, this, this guy gets in your face, and he will swing, and he will connect. So it, it is a tough fight. People are underestimating him. Go back to his World Series of fights. He destroyed all of his opponents in, in, in pretty brutal fashion. Did you see his scars? His surgery on scars? Neck? Yeah. So he's got the tracheotomy scar here,
0: and then he's got whatever they did to, like, repair being stabbed in the heart. Yo, this man, understand what happened here. This man gets stabbed in the heart, right? You, have, you, have you seen that press conference from the hospital? You ever seen I him? Have, I haven't, but I've read about it. He, he, looked, he looked bad, okay? I mean, I don't wanna make any Tom Hanks in Philadelphia jokes, but he, he did not look. He was so thin and so frail. This dude gets stabbed in the heart, uh, in a coma for 80 days, and, and is walking out of the hospital and is like, I gotta get back to the cage. We are talking about somebody who is tough on a level. You can't possibly imagine. I don't know people that tough, and I know some tough people, man. That is a crazy level of determination. And to ultimately be as good as he is, kind of amazing. Kind of amazing. So any other takeaways from that fight? What did I miss from Saturday's main event? A little bit boring. There's a question to be asked about whether or not they should be having these heavyweight fights as main events. Mm -hmm. A heavyweight fight is fine if it ends pretty quickly. But there's almost nothing worse than a five-round heavyweight fight. Even when both guys are talented and they're talented, I don't know that that's the best idea. I don't think it's the worst
1: idea, but I think it might be better as a co-main than main. I agree, but the UFC likes to lead. You know, there's that, the, always the heavyweight allure, and they like to lead with that. You know, these two giant guys, you know. So I understand that as well. But yeah, five rounds for heavyweight, if it doesn't end early, it's usually a pretty boring fight. Also, can I say something very quickly to our European listeners? Yeah.
0: Love European listeners. Okay, I love you all. I don't understand you sometimes. So I tweeted on Saturday, hey, uh, (laughs) shouts to everybody watching a cage fight in Idaho at 1245 in the morning. This was like halfway through the main event. And then as soon as you do that, as soon as you complain on the East Coast about the time, you get all these donks in Ireland and in the UK coming out, you know, well, it's like 6 a.m. here. Donkeys, what sport do you watch in your country at 1245 in the morning? It's not taking place in Ireland. It's not taking place in Manchester. It's here. Now, you could make a point about those UFC cards that get pushed late there. You are more than welcome to complain about those. Those are taking place super late in your country. It's in our country, and it's 12.45 in the morning. It is tortuous. I admire everybody overseas across the pond and their willingness to watch at freaking, uh, you know, 6 in the morning. Dedicated, determined, dependable. You're all of the above. But you don't get to have dibs on who's suffering more. It's not even in your country where it's <laughs> taking place. It's in ours. Sorry, if a sporting event, Danny, is taking place in your country and you're watching like the idiot I am at twelve forty five in the morning, I feel like that's a much a, a much fairer complaint than somebody who's choosing to watch something that's not even taking place even
1: close to where they live. Sorry. Because it's supposed to cater... To that market. that market, yeah. Yeah, this should be way earlier, especially watching a heavyweight fight at that time. Jeez. I have been told by sources in the know, I tweeted this before, but for folks who may not know, I have been told
0: by very reliable sources that the ESPN linear TV broadcasts, when the UFC starts over there in 2019, they're going to be faster than the FS1 broadcasts. And I'm told... I mean, they can't possibly be any slower. I mean, all they, oh, it's MMA. It could always be more fucked up and broken. But I'm told it'll be faster than the FS1 broadcasts, and I'm told that the ESPN broadcasts will be even faster than that, which to me cannot happen soon enough.
1: I am tired of that. I am tired of that. All right, what's next? Cool, so I think we're going to keep the JDS train rolling. All right, let's do it.
0: All right, Uh, Dos Santos looked softer and slower this weekend. Can you see him getting past the current top heavyweights such as Blades or Nganu? Well, I don't know what's next for Nganu, so that's a hard question to answer about him, but let's talk about Curtis Blades. As we mentioned before, you have somebody like JDS who has absolutely phenomenal takedown defense, right? So that would be a real big problem for Curtis Blades. Now, I actually didn't think he looked that soft. I thought he looked in pretty good shape. I went back and I watched the first Kane fight. No. Excuse me, the second cane fight. And maybe he didn't look quite as, not quite as ripped, but he looked to be in very good shape. Remember, he had rhabdomyolysis coming off, uh, I think, the first cane fight or, or, or near, in or oh, no, excuse me, coming off the second cane fight, I believe. Um, in any case, he was known for overtraining. He's now training at American Top Team with specialist Phil D'Aru. And Phil is a phenomenal trainer, so shouts to Phil. So he actually might be in a better uh, condition in terms of not burning his body out. The point being is this. I did not find any kind of real physical deterioration. I did see somebody who had been put through the ringer generally heading into this fight. The results notwithstanding. So actually, the Blades fight, look, if they don't want to make the Stipe fight, fine. There's a bunch of other good ones you can make. If you wanted to, you could do the Derek Hunt fight. Uh, excuse me, the um Derek Lewis fight. Um, You could do the Curtis Blades fight. I don't think Blades wants that fight, but he would be beating a former champion if he got it. I actually think it's a really interesting style matchup because Blades, phenomenal wrestler, maybe the best one in heavyweight, to be quite honest with you, taking on, well, not Cormier notwithstanding and how it matched up with Lesnar we'd have to see, but certainly very, very good. And then you got JDS who has lights out, takedown defense, but, you know, certainly a little bit more weathered and longer in his career at this point. So uh, I'd be all in favor of that, but I don't think it's fair, Danny, to look at him and say, oh, well, um, is he, has he been ridden hard and put away wet? I still think there's some good fight left in him. Ivanov is one of those guys who's like hard to look good against. Yeah, He's sneaky, sneaky tough. Um, and I still think he's, I still think JDS, how about this? I don't know how competitive he is against the very best, but there's
1: reasons to believe he's competitive against the very best. 100%. JDS still looked good. His, his job looked great. His boxing looked great. His movement looked good. And you know Ivanov is, is is a guy that he it's he's hard to take out. So he was landing some good shots that maybe could have wobbled or hurt other heavyweights in you know in other manners. So it is a tough fight to look against. All right, to look good against. Let's move forward on this, shall we? Yep.
0: Someone's got to give some love to that crazy KO by Nico Price, framing up the head with his ankle to finish uh, from the bottom with hammer fists was fucking. Savage. Could that be replicated? Would love to see you discussed on the analyst segment. I will ask Chael Sonnen to see what he thinks about it. I had a thought about this when I was watching in real time because you had not only that KO, you had the Sage Northcutt one. Now, Sage Northcutt, we'll get to him a little bit later. I definitely want to discuss him because I thought that was the toughest test, the right kind of test, and the right kind of answer. But getting back to Nico Price, it sort of occurred to me, and I don't know the answer to this, but it's worth asking some MMA coaches and some fighters out there have we gotten better at hammer fisting? It sounds sort of ludicrous to even air out loud, and maybe the answer is no. It's always been what it what it is. But I really kind of wonder a little bit. I kind of wonder if there might be something to it where guys are better about placing it. Guys are learning how to generate power better in certain circumstances. I mean, Nico Price was using it off of his back and going almost like a almost like a sit up to throw it. A lot of guys have been throwing it from bad angles. Like if someone's taking you down, there's not much (laughs) without making a jerking off motion you can really do um, to put a lot of impact on it. But off your back, he was generating. I mean, you go back and you watch the replay. He put out Randy Brown. It looked like from the first shot, from the first shot he had him. So to me, kind of incredible that he was doing that. The answer is, I think in part, Nico Price is terribly underrated. He is a guy who's been showing up time after time after time beating tough guys in interesting circumstances. Uh, uh, I think he's very powerful. Sage is also very powerful. It could just be you had two powerful guys who found that nice, sweet spot, and that's okay. But you always have to ask yourself, to what extent are best practices, even funny, simple, small things, really evolving inside mixed martial arts? I do wonder if the hammer fist is a deadlier weapon than it used to be. What do you think, Danny? You got to make calls? Yeah? Yeah, let me get uh, TJ. Up. While you're doing that, let me uh, say a word, if I can, about the other Hammer Fist from Sage Northcutt. I was so impressed by Sage Northcutt, and I'll be honest with you, not a hater of Sage Northcutt at all. They brought him in so early. They brought him in so early that a lot of folks said, you have to wait and see what's going to happen here, which I totally agreed with. But it was so early, it also could have gone a lot of different ways. You get a prospect that early in their development. You just don't know which way it goes. I mean, you look at him, he looks the part. You think, man, you get this guy some training, sky's the limit. But you don't know. You don't know which way that they're going to show the kind of, or or rather, are they going to show the kind of character that's going to make them competitive? Are they going to show the kind of skills that they need to? Are they going to develop the right way? Remember that kickboxer who came out, whose name escapes me, please forgive me, who was saying that this guy, as long as he stays in Houston and trains with his dad, it's just going to kind of be what it is. Now, I don't know exactly if that's correct, but that seems in hindsight, to be maybe a little prescient. So he goes over to Team Alpha Male. Look at his development, man. I have to say, uh, uh, he was just, you know, when you're out there having tough fights with Enrique Marine, I, 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 don't, I don't know if you're ready for the big time, but that fight on Saturday in Boise, Idaho, especially after he showed some of the development at UFC Norfolk, I really thought this guy can maybe be something. That's the first time I thought, again, I didn't think he wasn't going to be anything, but I wasn't sure if he was going to be anything either. I was sort of very neutral about it, like, I don't know. And then he comes out and looked phenomenal. He looked truly, truly phenomenal. I have to say I was extremely impressed. He looked like he he didn't panic when he got put in bad spots. He looked like, um, again, powerful, accurate, hard, quick punching. There was a lot I liked about that. There was a whole lot I liked about that. And I have to say um, that was the first time Watching Sage Northcutt, where I thought to myself, he might be able to do something real special here. And to see the enthusiasm of his team alpha male teammates, oh my goodness, I was blown away. Uh, All right, let's do this. What is the word here, Danny Segura? I'm waiting on you. I cannot hear you. When you talk, there we go. Now I can hear. All right, let's go to our first guest if we can. He is the UFC Bantamweight Champion of the World. And he takes on, or rather he defends his title against uh, Cody Garbrandt, August 4th at UFC 227. The one and only TJ Dillashaw is here. TJ, how are you, sir? I'm doing good. How are you? I am doing quite well. TJ, I got to ask you about this training center, man. Uh, uh, I've been following you on Instagram and I went to the website today and I checked it out. Is, is this the dream training scenario that you've been looking for all these years?
3: Yeah, man, it's been it's been fun to put it together. You know, um all the moving parts just kinda of fell in place. Um bunch of like minded people just kind of surrounded me and um it just all kinda of, kinda of happened on accident and now it's been uh, it's been a blessing.
0: All right, so let's talk about some of the mechanics here. Are you part owner? Are you like an investor? What is your relationship to the ownership structure?
3: Yeah, I guess you'd call it a, a part owner. Um, you know, we're not we're not a gym that's looking to make profit. You know, we're just a gym that's looking to stay open and keep running and pair of coaches, you know. Um, I won't be, I'll be an owner as well. I'll make,
0: make decisions. I like guess it's almost like, it's almost like a partner, where I can keep going, you know. And Cub Swanson, what, are you partnered with him as well? Yeah, yeah.
3: Cub, Cub Swanson's part, uh, part of it. One of but um, we got my shiny machine coach named Um We've got a guy that's really helped design a lot with, with, um, Business side of it, Steve Martin. Um, you know, it's been it's been
0: been real good to to watch this thing grow. So the training center name it's a play on words, but I did notice that Mark Munoz is a part of your camp, and it's got that rain in there. And of course, he used to have his own rain training center. Is it a play off of that? Yeah. Is it is it, what's the relationship there?
3: Yeah. So this all kind of started off of uh, I guess. He, so Mark Munoz back in the he's the one to talk me into fighting. Um, he had a strength, strength and conditioning coach named Sam Calvita. I met him at her, Sam Calvita at a wrestling clinic when I was first even thinking about getting into fighting. Well, you know, shoot, eight nine years later, I was reintroduced through Juan Arceleta, Coach of the Fighter, and I just had a dessert train with him. You know, he was like a mad scientist. He wanted to push my body to the next level and to make some big gains. And once I've seen. Um, what he was able to do, with not only Mark, but myself, we decided to, to build this. So yeah. So he had a, a training lab with Mark Mumbus. Mark Williams had a gym called rain. So it's them two combined. It's training lab as well as raining in there. Like you said, a play of words in there. And um, yeah. And then March now the head MMA wrestling coach for the team. So it kind of got in full circle. You know, Mark was my assistant wrestling coach in college He's the one that talked me into He's like one of the advocate at it. And uh like I said, nine years later now he's coaching a team as well as just the coach that he can up with from the beginning.
0: Okay, so let's get to some of the mechanics here of this camp. It's I'm guessing yes, you help everyone else out around you, but it's is it during camp, it must be largely catered to you? Is that how it works?
3: Oh uh, yeah, I mean to to an extent. Absolutely. I mean Sure, I I'm very fortunate. You know, I have a coach like Dwayne Ludwig like, that travels out three days a week. Like I'm picking him up from the airport um here now. Um picking up from the airport you know, and want to me to be for the next thirty days and then run practices and all for me and be a part of my camp, you know. So luckily enough I have someone like Dwayne's willing to do that, you know. Um and then we've been tailored my last camp was completely tailored around me. I mean, we didn't have a camp named Right we down in the gym, and and kind of created this thing. We got yeah, tailored around my my last championship fight, and um, we, we've kind of been the same. but Obviously, everyone else is feeding off it and gaining from it as well. That's why we built this team, you know, because we got guys like Aaron Pickle coming in, you know, guys like Lars Leda doing great um tour, Syed, Coach Swanson. Now, so we have a lot of guys that we are tailoring around, but it all kind of started from my camp. Yes. Yeah.
0: So it's a collaborative environment, which I think is a fair clarification. But here's what I'm wondering. It seems like there's this new thing where, yes, champions are training with big teams. But the more they can cater training around them, the better off they are, a la the boxing model. So I guess my question is, if you didn't have these services, I'm sure you believe in yourself. (coughs) But the question is, would you be a world champion if you weren't able to arrange your training in this kind of way?
3: I do, I do believe I would be. You know, um, this has definitely helped me become a, a better fighter and a better martial artist, and um, growing something that I believe in. You know, I am creating okay this camp around me, but it's building something better than that. It's building the way that gyms should be ran, not just gyms, but just uh, how professional fight teams should be ran. You know, we are we're making it. I mean, these guys coming up when I first started fighting, you know, you're paying to be a fighter. You know, you're you're, you're putting money out of your pocket. You're not making money. You know, you were you're paying your coaches more than you're making. You're paying medicals more than you're making. Um, so, we're trying to make it more affordable for guys to be able to train world class coaches and not have to be paying percentages of, of the site purse or whatnot. You know, um, creating, a, creating a home base that's uh, a gym that's not looking to make a profit. I mean, for the, all we have is we teach youth martial arts and then we have pro practice. You know, the youth martial arts program. I love the view because I like teaching the kids and giving back, to, giving back to the community as well as the housekeeper like of help pay the rent. helps pay Mark Munoz being there to coach, you know, coach um, weekly and uh, we we'll be able to fly playing out. So it, I feel like it's the way that things should be done, and it's just been a fun process.
0: Let's talk about your fight on August 4th. You're going to be facing Cody Garbrand for the second time in as many fights. I'm wondering from your vantage point what you think will be different uh, come August 4th.
3: You know, I don't, I don't think a lot is going to be different. You know, I think I'm going to come out there and make Cody a rail you know, at the weight class. You know, I'm to come out and, and, and finish him. Um, it, I think he's uh, he's got no chin. He, he doesn't have a technique. I'm just going to prove that I was going to do as well as he was. And he the weight class. I think he's going to have a tough
0: time. We had Dominic Cruz on the show. He believes that, uh, he, 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 you know, he wasn't overly confident, but he did believe that there was an injury issue affecting Cody the first time. Do you agree or no? No,
3: I do not agree with that. Absolutely not. I mean, what, what I've seen is how we can kill you. You know, um, I don't see how you know, there's an injury that could affect me knocking him out.
0: <laughs> okay. So then the question becomes about stakes. What what do you think the stakes are here? I mean, yes, it's a title fight, right? But is there a bigger yeah. is there a bigger picture? Like if you win, yes you keep your title. Do you get something else? You know, it's it's not about if it's when
3: I win. Um it's just continuing to grow my legacy, you know, looking for the next matchup, looking for the next for the next fight that's gonna continue to grow my name and be the best front fighter I possibly can. Um but that's something else what comes with it. You know, there's a lot of attention behind the I get to fight at staple center. Um, really just comes down to proving that my path and my journey has led me to the
0: direction. Okay. So let me say, let me say what I was thinking. Do you think if you, if, and when you win on August 4th, where does that put you in the conversation for best Bantamweight ever?
3: Put me in the top, man. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I I know I'm the best Bantamweight ever, you know, um, a uh, split decision loss with with Donner Cruz changes everything. A fight that I already thought I won, you know. Um, I feel like that that changes that changes everything. So I I am the best heavyweight ever.
0: Do you think you have to fight him again to I don't know prove it to critics or to solidify it or to really drive that home?
3: I don't think so. I think my my uh, performances have it as well as always, mm-hmm. and we we got to see if Donner Cruz can even fight. You know, I mean the guy can't even can't even get in there anymore. So. Um. We'll see, we'll see how it comes out right now. just going to worry
0: about uh, knocking Cody out in three weeks. Uh, the game plan for this, I, I know you're not going to tell me, but you mentioned that there wasn't a whole lot different. I'm wondering, I'm still guessing that you, you decided to add certain things to what you were doing to keep your opponents guessing, right? Like, there's there's still growth involved heading into this contest.
3: Absolutely, man. No matter if it's three matches or there's new fights against different opponents, you always add new wrinkles to your game. You know, um, there's a lot to this this world of MMA that I didn't show how much better I am than Cody. You know, this fight didn't even hit the ground. You know, I got way better. see my wrestling is a higher class. Um, I'm, I'm a lot smarter of a fighter. So I'll bring I'll bring in a, a different TJ Hill show, but the outcome is going to be the same.
0: You know what's interesting? I don't think anyone has quite the combination of talent that you have. Right? On the one hand, you have Dwayne Ludwig who as a strategist, I don't think gets enough credit, right? And a technician, yeah, I don't absolutely. think gets enough credit. Plus, you've got you've got all you've got David Taylor in there. You've got all kinds of high-level wrestlers, Jake Varner I'm told is over at training center. Yeah. Right? So like who else has that kind of Yes, people have very talented melding of, of different uh, aspects of martial arts, but that seems a little on the unique side to me.
3: Absolutely, man. I, mean, I feel like that's what I've kind of uh, built my career off is being so well-rounded and being able to take the part wherever I can, wherever I want to, is that I can keep my opponent guessing, you know? Um, I feel like being the best martial artist in the world is always keeping your opponent guessing on what you're doing. You don't know if I'm taking you down or if I'm kicking you in the head. You know, you don't know, you don't know what I'm really going to do, and... Uh, That's what makes the best. You know, if I can keep you guessing, keep you on your toes, you're never going to be able
0: to be your best self. Uh, Before you get going, I appreciate your time here because I know you got a lot of things to do, but that would be remiss if I didn't ask you about your thoughts these days on MMA fighters' attempt to unionize. Are you still in favor of that? I know you were involved briefly, however long it lasted, with the double M, triple A, or MMAA, whatever you want to call it. But what are your thoughts today on the necessity and the value of that?
3: I haven't heard anything about it. Um, I don't really know what was going on in, in the world of that. Um, the sport is very new, and I'm sure that it definitely will happen. You know, just like with any other sport, um, but when it's going and getting more and more popular, I and mean, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure at some point in time it will happen.
0: So you you have not heard of Project Spearhead?
3: No, I haven't. I haven't been in the loop.
0: Wow. Okay. I
3: don't uh, I try, sorry. I don't pay much attention to the uh, media or what's going on. I, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, now I'm, Now that I got my sixth grade kids, kid, um, my life is, is solely around family and enjoying life outside of fighting, you know? But once I'm done fighting, when I'm done with practice, I come home. It's even hard for me to watch a lot of the fights unless there's some a teammate or a buddy that I want to watch fighting because uh, I try to escape. I try to escape because of MMA when I'm not at the gym, you know, Cause my life is MMA. My life is fighting, so... Um, I don't. I don't really pay attention too much to what's going on. I don't pay attention to what my opponent's got to say. I don't pay attention to to, to much other than uh, what I'm doing. You know, a little selfish, you
0: know. No, no, I understand, and I know you got your businesses. Uh, you got the what Flavor Republic. Yeah. You got this training center. You got a lot of things going on. I get it, but I'm just wondering: as a necessity, do you, do you still believe that whether there's this uh, effort or that effort, that some kind of effort is still needed? Yeah, I eventually, mean, absolutely. Uh, and by the way, do you know what happened to the double M, triple A? Like, how did that whole thing go away? No, man, I don't know. You know, I'm not sure if it was like a a grudge match between, um,
3: you know, two big corporations of C, uh, CAA and WME. I don't, really, you know, I don't really know how that all ended out. Um, I just feel like it wasn't heading in the right direction. I feel like there's some wrong motives. Um, so I, I kind of uh, stayed clear of it after... I'll try to get that feeling.
0: Uh, before you go, also on that card, Demetrius Johnson's going to face uh, Henry Cejudo for the second time. Yeah. Uh, predictions for yeah.
3: that? Um, I think uh, I think uh, my Mouse is just a little bit and around. I mean, I was impressed with Cejudo. He's, uh, he's been looking the last couple fights. He's gotten a lot better. He's gotten a lot more comfortable on his feet and kind of honing into his own power. So I think he will be a lot more of a dangerous fight. For Demetrius Johnson in the first time, but I still think that Demetrius is speed and his intelligence uh and, and within this one is gonna be a little bit too much for any to understand.
0: And so let's ask this when you win on August fourth, does a win make a fight with Demetrius Johnson more or less likely?
3: You know, it's definitely setting itself up to, to to kind of happen. It's funny that we're on the same card. You know, I thought we just we were going to fight this fight. You know, I figured if we were trying to line this up in April, but then he had to get shoulder surgery, and so that fight wasn't able to happen. Um, we wasn't able to, to to line the fight up. But now it's kind of funny enough that we're still fighting on the same card. You know, um, so I mean, the we are aligning. We will see.
0: All right. Well, uh, TJ, I really appreciate your time. Congratulations on uh, the new addition to your family and all that. And um, congrats on the training center, uh, the training lab. Excuse me. It looks like a pretty phenomenal place. We appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you very much. All right. There he goes. So here's how we're going to do things now. We're going to change them up a little bit because (laughs) we have to accommodate the, I'll just just be real. We have to accommodate the schedules of our uh, guests. So I would love to have the sound off at the end of every show, but that just ain't reality. So let's do this. It's time now for the sound off. All right. This is where we take your call. So we go back to one Danny Segura. Uh, there he is. I don't know why you're pointing to the sky. You are not a gangster rap.
1: You're giving me an intro, right?
0: <laughs> I expected better, Luke. Come on. <laughs> Sorry. I am not a master of ceremony. Uh, real quickly, who do you like, TJ or
1: Cody in the rematch?
0: D- Dominic Cruz was here last week. He thinks Cody's going to take it.
1: I don't know, because I don't know how much the injury hindered Cody. I know it was a, a very big deal, and he was traveling, right, to, to get it fixed. And TJ got dropped in the first round of the fight. Yeah, first. he did, but just I feel like TJ has more tools. Cody's primarily a boxer. TJ can mix things well up with kicks, and that's just a huge advantage, and we actually saw that in that fight. So I think it could go either way. We They proved that they can knock each other down. They can hurt each other, but I think TJ has more tools to get it done. I think he
0: does too, but that raw power and athleticism... And if, and if the Cody who fought Dominic is making the kinds of reads that he made in that fight and he brings that to the TJ fight, all bets are off. All right, let's get to these calls. We don't have a moment to waste. How were the calls this time?
1: They're really good. I feel like the, the calls, calls, people they, love... They keep going up and you know what? Let's be honest, the tweets, they could be better. They could be a lot better. They could be better, but the calls. But when yeah, when you got the option to leave a call, I think most people would rather pick that than than tweets. We've out. got the PFL of calls, and we've got the UFC. Excuse me. We got the PFL of tweets and the UFC of calls, right? Yeah, I mean, you you can mouth breathe on
0: these. Yeah, we got it's the we can. have the we have the world series of fighting of tweets. Come on, tweeters, let's get better at this.
1: All right, All right. let's get to these calls. Set this up, please. Good. Let's get this going. Cool. So the first one is about something a bit controversial that went down this weekend and last weekend as well. Okay, let's hear it.
4: I'm Derek from Ohio, and my question is about eye pokes in MMA. With uh, the last few weekends of fights, just showing how beneficial they are, uh, from the Paula Costa fight to the Daniel Cormier fight, and referees just refusing to take points. I think uh, Paula Costa got like five warnings, and no point was ever taken. Is that a problem you think there's a solution to, or just something that will always be a problem in
0: MMA? Thank you. It will always be a problem. Thank you, Derek, for the call. It will always be a problem to the extent that penalties are not enforced. Um, I'm not one of these big believers that thinks that the reason Cormier won was because he raked the eyes of Stipe, certainly not intentionally, and even if he did, and I'm sure that he did, and I'm sure that it hurt, and I'm sure that it affected him, but in the end, I would still pick a healthy Cormier against a healthy Stipe Miocic. Um, but, yeah, I, I fundamentally agree. These, these refer- Here's the thing. Go watch a college wrestling match. Now, I know some of you might be like, I'd rather have liquid Ebola chucked in my eyeballs. I understand. It's a sport not necessarily designed for entertainment. But just do me a solid. Pull up one on YouTube. Wait until March when it comes around. Here's what you'll find. You'll find the referees play an extremely active role in defining how that match goes. Now, I understand in a tournament, they'll wrestle several matches. Um, You know, they have matches throughout the course of the year. You have these dual meets. You'll have these tournaments. It's not, I'm not saying that we need to empower referees to the extent that we empower referees in collegiate wrestling. Here's what I am saying. This whole, where I'm going to be a wallflower and I'm not really going to get involved because I don't want to, uh, uh, I don't want to taint the purity of this contest, man. Please get rid of this old ass idea that, is, that needs to be jettisoned like a bag of urine from a Dave Matthews touring band. Uh, a bus. I mean, this this is this is a old idea. Clearly, what needs to happen is some degree of proactive behavior on the point of re- on the on the responsibility of referees to get involved. It, 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 they there needs to be more action. Now, I understand we have a bunch of referees who are really bad, and you could say, but they could ruin it. I, I get it, but they're already ruining it by not getting involved, by not taking points, by not. I think, frankly, we should have more stand-ups, to be perfectly honest with you. Certainly, at least more separations when there's clinching along the fence line and people aren't doing things. Um, How we enforce that, we can debate. Uh, Exactly the contours of how we put this together, we can debate. But I actually believe, Danny, I am not at all in favor of this idea where the ref shouldn't be involved at all. That's exactly how you get somebody who just – maybe inadvertent. I don't know that Paulo Costa is a cheater, but you could could exercise – a greater degree of responsibility in these fights i absolutely believe 100% we need referees more involved in fights not less
1: yeah and as soon as as soon as the referees start Taking points off, you'll see less cage grabs, less eye pokes. And I don't necessarily think somebody's out there doing it intentionally, but just keeping the hand out there, you might not want to risk it just because you know you might get deducted a point. Yeah. So the refs need to be on top of it. On it. I want them on it. I think you should get one accidental warning. If deemed that it was an accidental eye poke, you should get one warning and that's it. And you tell them next time, it's it's a no-go. I'm even fine with them going at the beginning of the fight.
0: Like if it's a main event or something, the referee going backstage will say it's, Herb Dean, so it's before the fight on camera. They do this on HBO all the time. You'll see the referee, that whoever's main, uh, the referee in the main event, will go backstage and he will say to those two jokers, Here's what's going to happen. You do X, I'm going to do Y. You do Y, I'm going to do Z. Whatever. Uh, so that they know. So you go out there and you start putting your hands in his face, man, they already know. Like, I do, I do not mind. Take a point.
1: Yeah. Get involved. Push the action. I'm in favor of it. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think maybe in MMA, they should, the refs should be a little more lenient just because, you know, in boxing, you know, you have the, the whole glove, so it's almost impossible to poke somebody in the eye. Yeah, but there's headbutting, but, yeah. clinching. There's all kinds of ways to cheat. But it's easier to be to get an accidental eye poke, you
0: know. It, there are, but there's two major problems. One is taking points for misconduct, again, intentional or not. And the other one is for stalling. Yeah. I am absolutely in favor of getting involved for people who are stalling. And I know that's controversial. I know a lot of people are like, I don't agree. I don't care. I have watched way too many martial arts and way too many combat sports to to, to say, well, we should just sort of let stalling work itself out naturally. Man,
1: fuck that. Get involved. Yeah, if nothing's happening, call it. All right, so let's move on. We didn't touch on the tweets about some of those stuff that happened over the weekend. So let's track back on that. Let's do it. So this is about Chad Mendes. Okay. Oh, good call.
3: My name is John. I'm calling from New Jersey. Um, I'm curious about Chad Mendez. Um, I'm wondering what the UFC does with him next. I mean, is he eligible after being suspended to fight for a number one contender fight? Or does he have to work his way back up? Um, is a fight with Jeremy Stevens something that we should look forward to after Jose Aldo? Or is Stevens fighting for number one contender? That's what I'm curious about. I'd like to see Chad back. Okay, I, I mean, we get,
0: okay, okay, okay. Yeah. We get. It. I mean, he's just kind of rambling at that point. Uh, it's a great question, actually. I appreciate the call. So here's what I would say. Well, first of all, Jamie Stevens is a savage, but he's got his work cut out for him against Jose Aldo. Let it be known right away. But if he gets past it, it I, I, maybe you can make that Chad Mendez fight if you wanted to. I thought that win over Miles Jury was super impressive, and what I really took away from it was. Like, the whole psoriasis cream thing, like, I'm not a pharmacist, but the pharmacist I did talk to told me that was not a plausible explanation. I went over this extensively in my live chat. But... You guys also know my opinion about performance enhancing drug use in sports. I think we had the World Cup happen over the weekend. You see what they announced? There wasn't a single positive test at the World Cup. Yeah, eh, it must be because no one's using, right? No, everyone uses in that sport and nobody cares. It's the same thing in basketball. You can say whatever you want about the dire consequences of uh, performance enhancing drug use being involved in MMA, but this is what happens when you treat fist fighting like a sport. The The realities of trying to eradicate or control it are no less easy so you're still wrapped up in the exact same harms and problems that come about with anti-doping in track and field as you are in mma you cannot eradicate it and to control it you necessarily have to cause all kinds of harms not least of which is total invasion of the lives of athletes and getting other things wrong now getting back to chad mendez maybe he used maybe he didn't the psoriasis cream thing does not seem to me very convincing but i don't really care that he that much that he used um And especially because he did serve out his two-year sentence. To that point, I thought he showed no signs of physical drop-off. I thought that characteristic power was right there. I thought his speed was right there. Beating Miles Jury is absolutely no joke at all. It just depends where he gets ranked. and I don't know where they're going to put him, Danny, but there wasn't a whole lot of tape. Maybe his cardio will fade if he goes into a longer fight. Um, there certainly were some issues about his ability to take punishment coming out of that Frankie Edgar fight. He got iced with that clean, what was it a left hook, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, whatever it was that put him down. Maybe those issues are still in play, but they were in play before the break. They would not go away, even with time off. They just wouldn't be exacerbated. They would just be status quo. My whole point is, let's see where they put him in the rankings. But the major takeaway for me from Chad Mendez was, what an exciting reintroduction into the ufc's featherweight division i was so glad to see him back i was so glad to see him look like that i feel bad for miles jury who i know has been trying to climb the ladder for a long time but that was stupendous
1: what a win for him welcome back money mendez he looked fantastic and the division needed that because there's been so many you know young guys coming up that perhaps you know they're very skilled but don't have a huge name value don't have a bunch of history Chad Mendes is still game and he's got tons of history. So you can make pretty big fights uh, with him. So I I would just like to point out um, Cub Swanson's fighting Renato Moicano Mm -hmm. pretty soon. August uh, 4th at UFC 227. I think the winner of that would be perfect for him. Great call. What's next? All right. So let's go Sage Northcutt now. Team Alpha, man.
2: Hey, this is Big M from Big I. Big Mike from
4: Indiana. Couple of quick questions. First, your thoughts on Chad Mendes' performance. I felt it was pretty hesitant up till the big shot landed just kind of your thoughts on that what you might see him doing next and two what about uh sage Northcutt? do you see him as ever being a true contender or more of a perennial stable in the undercards thank you (sighs) (laughs) yes
0: hashtag mouth breathers so, real quickly, the last thing he mentioned about Chad Mendez was he did look hesitant. Well, right. He's been off for two years. I would expect some degree of hesitancy on his part. I have no real issue with that. And once he got going, he was cooking. So, that's that. About Sage Northcutt. Well, it's an interesting question. People keep asking, what's his ceiling? What's his ceiling? None of us know. If you want to have optimism about it, by all means, do it. Here's what I would say. Rather than asking about his ceiling at this juncture... It's not like a John Jones where, like, they come out when they're 21 years old and they're just blowing the doors off these top-ranked guys. That's when you can begin to ask, wow, what really is their ceiling? This is much more an incremental climb up the bottom of the ladder. So it's not necessarily crazy to ask, well, how many rungs up the ladder is he going to go? It's just not the most appropriate question now. To me, that was a big deal for Sage Northcutt. On Saturday, because the question is, was he just going to be a perennial staple uh, of the welterweight division? You know, that's not nothing. And by the way, a few fights ago, I wasn't even sure he was going to be able to do that. I didn't think he wasn't. I did not know if he was. It was very much up in the air. That fight against Zach Otto taught me, yes, this guy can hang around at a bare minimum. He can hang around. But the upside, you ask that question this moment when they're out there beating the shoguns of their division, when they're out there beating the Ryan Baders of their division. That's not what he's doing. He's climbing that ladder very, very incrementally, one rung at a time towards the bottom, and he's trying to work his way up. Um, That's still huge progress. We're so used to the Habib Nurmagomedovs who come in and just blow the doors off people, the John Joneses who come in and just blow the doors off people. Sage did not come in blowing the doors off of people. He came in, I think, having some stumbles, changing weight classes, changing camps, figuring things out. Now. Now we have a baseline. And that baseline is, can he compete in the UFC's welterweight division? Yes. Yes, he can. Can he beat ranked opposition? I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm curious to see. I'm curious to see his development because I think those guys at Team Alpha Male are doing something pretty special with him. But Danny, this is my point. You can't ask these questions about upside until you know much more about him. And I know he's been here a little while and he's been in two divisions. And he's been fighting at big cards, UFC two hundred, and the like. But I like that they put him in Boise. I like that he's at welterweight. I like that he's at Team Alpha Male. But these are foundational changes. These are not catalysts
1: for the top of the division. Yeah, I'm, it, something I was very critical of Sage Northcutt because I didn't think he was living up to his hype. But again, the kid's just twenty two years old. I mean, I'm older than him, you know, so you don't know wow, you don't good. know how he's gonna look in the next few years. I mean, in three years he's still gonna be a kid. He's gonna be twenty-five, you know. So he's got so much potential uh that's yet to be seen. And and we'll we'll find out what, what he really looks like in the next few years. But as you said, he's doing everything right. He's with a really solid team, a team of veterans that can really shape him into a really good fighter. And on top of that, you know, he moved up a weight class. He talked about how bad it was moving to light getting down to lightweight. So he's doing everything right. And so far he's he's looked great. I have to say when he got rattled, and hung on mm. i was i was impressed when he got past and
0: didn't panic and then you know he's got these like the, he's got the real ronnie coleman bicep where he actually has the two heads of the bicep you can see and that's fine to look at but it doesn't do fuck all for you in a real fight to be quite honest with you you're not out there doing you know isometric holds uh or you know strict bicep curls on a cable machine. Like you need functional muscles. Yeah. Um, and most functional, functional movement comes in compound lifts. Anyway, neither here nor there. The point being is he's got the beach muscles, but this time he showed me the right kind of balance and the right kind of strength for the functional positions. Frank Trigg used to argue Matt, he, uh, Matt Hughes might be stronger than me, but I'm stronger in functional strength. I don't know if that was true or not, but there is a difference between the two. It used to be for me that Sage had good gym strength. Now I'm starting to see he's got that gym strength translating to all of those scramble positions and defensive guard positions that he needed before. Plus, dude, when he gets people up against the fence, his hand speed, whoa. This is, but this is what I'm talking about. It's foundational. Let's see what he can build upon now that he's starting to put these things together. And I think lay off the kid. He's, he's not John Jones. He's not.
1: But that doesn't mean he can't be something special. But that doesn't mean he's going to be either. Let's see. But so far, it's pretty promising. And I yes. would say in this fight, it's the most improvement he's done from fight to fight. I mean, he looked really, really The biggest issue for me for Sage Northcutt was
0: that if he had a game plan and he could stick to it and it spoke to his existing strengths, he was fine. But if he got out of that game plan or he had to use something that wasn't a strength,
1: he'd be kind of screwed. He showed me that that wasn't true on both counts. Yeah, and you want to see prospects go through adversity. You want to see sure. them get rocked. Absolutely, how they react. Cool. Keep playing them. Play these let's go calls. To, let's go to Tough, your favorite show, right? I, I couldn't tell you anything about it.
3: Hey, Luke. This is Edgar from Houston, Texas. Loving the show. Uh, I had a quick question about Tough, the world renowned and world known Tough. Uh, season twenty eight just got announced. We have Robert Whitaker versus
4: Kevin Gathlum. I haven't watched Tough since season 11 or maybe 10 or so. Uh, I was wondering, let's say they said, okay, we're doing our last Tough season 29. It's going to be DC John Jones. Would you tune into that? Or do you think we should just let it die at season 28 when the Fox deal is over? Or would you say, hey, let's put DC John Jones in a room together every day. Let's see what happens. Mm. All right. Love to hear your thoughts on that. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
0: Thank you for the call. Shouts to Houston, good people there, by and large. Um, Well, <laughs> well I mean, there are miscreants in every town, I suppose. But generally, Houston's a, a wonderful place. I covered one of the Kimbo fights there, so it was pretty good. Um, what I would say is, I would probably tune in a little bit, or I would catch replays or highlights that made it on social media. I don't know that I would do much beyond that, because what really I'd be caring about is the fight itself. We know that they're. Pardon me. We know their interactions would be poisonous. And we know that it would be ugly, and we know we know all those things. Um, some of that would be fun to review. But that's not a reason to keep the show alive. You can just make the fight and put together some other kind of separate series. In fact, I think some kind of programming innovation is due. Remember when the ESPN deal was announced, they promised some innovative programming that would be announced at a future date. What, what better opportunity to do that between maybe two of the best fighters ever with maybe the best rivalry ever in MMA or certainly UFC history? So is it a reason to keep that corpse running? Uh, no. No, it's not. Would there be some
1: value if they did? I suppose. Any, any any objections to that? No, I agree with that, but I, I'd like to piggyback uh, off his question and ask you. Would it, would it serve? Because everybody's been talking about how tough needs to change, how it's no longer, you know, draw and all this. Yeah, it needs to but be I, changed. It needs its throat slit. Sli- do, it. do you think it's worth it to bring it back every now and then, though, when there's a really heated rivalry, say, John Jones-DC, do you think it, then it's worth it? Because it might not be worth it for a guy like, you know, Stipe Miochik and Daniel Cormier, because you know you're not going to get any sound bites or anything crazy out of that. Is it worth it to keep around to throw in, I don't know, every two years or something like that, when there's a really good rivalry? I don't care. You don't think so? I don't care at all. You're I, done with us. I'm done. Yeah. It had a great run. Don't get me wrong, but I'm done. It did. we Super done. All right, let's move on. Okay. Now we're going to go merge a little bit of UFC and Bellator. All right.
4: Hey, this is Mouth Breathing Mike from Connecticut. And I just Again? wanted to ask, what do you think the likelihood is of Brock Lesnar eventually competing for Bellator against Fedor Emelianenko in the fight that the UFC was never able to make? Hmm. Does Brock's contract with the WWE allow him to compete in MMA or only the UFC? And who do you think wins that fight nowadays? Thanks.
0: Couldn't tell you much about his contract because I don't pay attention to that kind of stuff. Uh, But certainly he'll be allowed to compete in UFC. I would imagine um, if if Bellator or Viacom threw him enough money, they would. They would probably put that on pay-per-view but I don't find that as likely he's what 41 years old now. Um, He's going to make a boatload of money fighting Daniel Cormier. I mean, never say never. I thought, I never thought Mayweather would fight McGregor in a boxing match. So this is a sport and a, not merely an MMA, but in combat sports, generally it's a side of sports where the bizarre and the unusual come to life and frankly um, have great purchase over our attention. But but I don't, I just don't see that as overly likely. So is there anything necessarily prohibiting him? No, I don't think so. Is there anything necessarily enticing him beyond what opportunities presently exist? Like, where could he make the most money? You can make the most money in UFC. Where can you get the most high-profile fights? The federal one would be interesting, but generally speaking, it's in UFC. The interesting part about that, though, Danny, of course, is that there's no USADA in Bellator, which makes Brock a better fit for that if we're just being candid. but Whatever you know, he, he,
1: the the big money is in UFC, and I think. He, Do you think that fight's still big? Because like in to, in twenty ten, that would have been huge. Now, given Fedor's, would you say big to find big? I mean, Fedor's definitely towards the end of his career, and he's had some tough losses. Let's say if he goes out there and loses to Chelsea on it and then he doesn't look good doing it. Obviously, Brock Lesnar would be a huge mismatch. What what would you say then? Do you think it's still a big fight, good enough to promote? You know, it's funny. Tito Ortiz
0: is forty three. And Tito versus Chuck is sort of considered, you know, a past-its-due-date kind of fight. Um, I think it will still do well, but, you know, you've seen the belly aching out there from parts of the community. We talked about it on this show. Brock is 41, but and I, I don't think he has quite the drawing power that he once did. But at the same time, you think, like, what's the difference between being Brock at 41 and Tito at 43? And there's, like, drastically different reactions to them while they're still bellyaching about Brock. The answer is that Brock takes long enough absences to still say feel fresh-ish, not fresh. You know, you kind of smell the milk. It's like it's still good enough to drink, still good enough to put in your coffee. You might get a stomachache. Yeah, a good- you might, but it's you're not. You don't need to go to the store, right? Yeah. You don't need to go out there and do that. It's that kind of a thing, I think, with him. And so his absence, heart grow fonder. I don't know, but it doesn't damage his brand as much as constantly overdoing it now chuck has been gone a long time but chuck's concerns were so medically related that that's been a little bit different plus what what is he 47 or so yeah 47. He's, he's you know he's long in the tooth so um yeah again would, would bellator do it if they could sure how much would it sell on pay-per-view i don't know three four maybe five really yeah, i don't know yeah, five seems high but maybe three or four i agree that's all That's all you have to say when
1: I'm done. So I'm, I'm going to get like, I'm literally get the like next guest. The sum- so I'm going to play the next question. Okay, and you're going to get the next guest. Take care guess. of that, and I'm going to get the guest. All right, let's do this. Okay.
3: Play the call. Hey, MMA, Hour. from Israel. I was wondering, hi, Luke. Hi, Danny. I was wondering, asking you guys, what is the most MMA ever uh, fight that makes you the most emotional? Like you were crying, screaming, in MMA history. Uh, thank
0: you. Love the show. Bye. No, I didn't get where he was from. I couldn't tell if his accent was French or Japanese. And I don't know if that's racist or not. Um, oh, well. Here's what I would say. If I can just be... If I can just... Oh, he's from Israel? Ah, okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> somewhere in between, I guess. Um, if I can just be totally candid with you, I've had a number of those moments, but the the biggest one i ever had had to be without a shadow of a doubt it had to be Brock Lesnar versus Shane Carwin for sure heading into that my heart was like beating out of my chest because you just had these two you know and i mean this not as a pejorative i mean this in the in the greatest way a man can say it um you had these two gorillas at the peak of their powers and you know, I know Shane ultimately had the cardio issues and Brock had the comeback. But when he was, I mean, the, th- I mean, go back and watch that fight. Shane Carwin brought the thunder. He lowered the boom on Brock Lesnar. I was like, tr- there's a famous live blog of me where I did it. And it's like the super embarrassing live blog because I'm like, LOL, OMG. You know, like a teenage girl reading Tiger Beat in 1995 or something. I couldn't believe how how... How it just, what an epic beatdown it was, and how, and then the, the shots were landing so hard. And then for the comeback in the second round, and the arm triangle wasn't even all that great. He just kind of he manned it. That to me, uh, never lost my breath before. I needed a cigarette when that fight was over. So there you go. All right. Well, I don't know how to make a transition from cigarettes to this, but let's just do it. Joining us now on the hotline is a man who will. Well, it's not quite his UFC debut, but it's something like it. He's going to be fighting for a UFC contract, not tomorrow, but the week following when he takes on, what is this gentleman's name? Alex Munoz for a shot at an opportunity in the world's elite fighting organization. You know him. You love him. Nick Newell is here. Nick, how are you, sir? Look at that smile.
2: Hey, how's it going? I'm uh, I'm glad to be back on the show and I'm glad to have this opportunity in front of me, of course.
0: Yeah, man. So, how are things? Like, uh, you're uh, what seven, eight days removed? Are you feeling? Uh, does it feel like any other fight?
2: Yeah, I mean, right now this is my my 18th fight, so um, you know I'm not as seasoned as as some other guys, but I definitely would say I'm I'm creeping into veteran status, and um, I'm feeling super comfortable. I'm feeling really great. You know, my body's always been like kind of an issue, but uh, everything feels good. I'm running on all cylinders, and, and I had a great camp. So, you know, the, when, the, when the day comes, I'll, I'll be ready. I'll be ready to fight, and I can tell you that I work my ass off, and I'm hungry.
0: So let's talk about your body, uh, which sounds like a really strange way to phrase a question, but here's, here's what I mean. Yeah. You know you had some physical issues. You talked about them. It was why you retired to begin with. How different was your return fights camp and this fight camp? Relative to the camps prior to your retirement,
2: uh, i I had to figure some things out, you know, I had to um really learn a lot. First off, I had to take a step back and just kind of breathe. you know, I was getting a little frustrated because I thought like when I started finding my goal was to get to the UFC, and that's what I wanted, and I just thought it was never going to happen. so you know, I always pride myself as being, like, very mentally strong, but I, I felt a little defeated. You know, I, I wasn't really happy with the way things were going. And uh, and my body was run down, and and I had to take a step back, breathe, and kind of reassess some things. And and I wanted to make sure that when I came back, I was ready for MMA at the highest level. So I took those two years, and and I really trained the entire time and focused on— the things I needed to focus on to be ready for if that shot were to come.
0: Are, do you ever get sick of answering for the congenital amputation? Here's what I mean. I know some folks have said to me, well, how much were his injury woes a function of that and him having to adapt his training? But I don't know why that would be the case, right? Because like, every fighter you know has some degree of injury woes. So do you ever get tired of like having to answer for it in this ever-present way?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I hate, you know, sometimes being the, the guy with the one-handed fighter, but it's something that I can't escape, and it's something that I've kind of just come to terms with. That's what I'll be known as. It's a part of me. It's not what defines me. Definitely, I will say this, that I did have to really, really work very, very hard and, and, and come from almost nothing to get to where I am. You know, I lost my first 17 wrestling matches, and... uh while everyone was out, uh, having fun, going to parties and stuff, I was, I was training all summer long and, and getting better. And and that started from when I was 14 years old to all the way now I'm 32, you know, and I, I've never really stepped back. I, I had to reassess some things. And when I took that break, I was still working my technique and, and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's it's always going to be something that people say, and I've just kind of come to terms with it. That's the way that things are.
0: And your injuries, though, they were
2: what? They were back related. Yeah, my back, my neck. Um, you know, I had uh, I had some knee problems, but uh, they're all feeling good right now. You know, obviously, I'll still wear a brace just because I'm like kind of scared. But I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. Okay. Let's talk about what's
0: coming up next Tuesday. I'm sure you've seen the show, but forget about that for just a moment. Does this feel like the culmination of everything? Like the, does the gravity of the moment are, are are you are you aware of it? Are you wearing it every day?
2: Uh, not really. I have a I have a lot of things going on that um keep keep my mind and keep me really busy, you know, and and I think it's a I think it's a good thing. I definitely take a lot of time to recover and relax and do all that stuff that I know I have to do. But um, you know, I own my I own my own gym now, so like I, I have that, and and I have my training. And uh, my wife and I are expecting our first baby. Um,
0: oh, congratulations! In
2: so, uh, yeah, yesterday we found out, I'd say it's going to be a boy. Um, so that's cool. <laughs> um, but you know, I have these things and some people would say, oh, these are distractions, but for me, I think that they're, they're great things and it helps me be more focused and, and stay more on top of, of what I have and, and what I have to fight for. Um, in the past I was, you know, younger, I, I didn't have anything to worry about. I, I wasn't really, um, you know, I, I just think staying busy is is a great thing, and and I'm not letting the moment get to me. I think that I, I've I've busted my ass and I've I've done everything I I think that I should do and and can do to get ready for this fight. So there's nothing in the back of my mind that that really worries me because I'm gonna be 100% prepared, the best of my abilities uh, come next Tuesday.
0: You know what vibe you have right now? You got a bit of the dominant Cruz after he beat TJ Dillashaw vibe, which was as soon as all those injuries that had sidelined him for so long, it was when he was ready to let the title go. That's when he was the most ready um, to take a step forward in his career, when he wasn't obsessed with certain, certain milestones or titles. You seem like maybe you were ready for the UFC before your retirement, but I don't know. You're coming back the, the degree of wisdom you now have as an older man, uh, healthy again, now seems like actually the best time to make this run for you.
2: Yeah, a hundred percent. Um, you know, I just have a lot of things going on in my life and, and, and my life outside of fighting is, is fantastic. You know, I have such a great life and such a good support system that, um, you know, I, I don't really feel the pressure. I'm going to go out there and and I'm going to punch the clock and I'm going to do what I have to do to get the job done, like I've done many other times before, um, and and that's that's the way that it is. That's that's what I got to do, and I know what I have to do, and I'm gonna get it done.
0: Do you think the MMA community is is on your side, or they, do they want to see you fail? What do you think?
2: Uh, I definitely have. It's either people are hardcore with me or hardcore against me. There's no like, oh yeah, he's okay, you know. People either really want to see me win or really want to see me lose for some reason. Um, I think that for the most part, people have my back and they, and they want to see me win. I would say it's it's a good story. You know, obviously I have a good story with me. Um, it's it's a good meter of what people facing a certain obstacle can accomplish. I don't think anything that I do is, or what I failed to do would be a measure of what they can't accomplish. But I know where I stand in this sport and I know that there's going to be a lot of eyes on me. And if I win, it's going to be bigger than, than anyone else that's ever won on this show. And if I lose, it's going to be uh, worse than any one has ever gotten it on the show. But and I know that, and I knew that going to this camp, and I knew that when I accepted the fight. So for me, that was extra motivation to to make sure that everything goes right, and I'm on point for this fight. And and I'm telling you, Luke, it's gonna be something else this Tuesday. It's it's really gonna be something else. I had a full camp, all hundred percent focused around me. Everything that I did was was uh, watched and looked over, and and um revised or, or corrected and i just feel the best i've ever felt going in a fight and the most confident i've ever felt going into a fight
0: let's talk about your opponent alex munoz what do you know about
2: him um i found out uh, a little bit about him i had uh my wrestling coach looked him up and he's uh i guess he's a good wrestler i think he won a national championship um maybe in high school. And he was a D1 wrestler. So, I mean, obviously wrestlers are always the toughest fight for anyone. Um, everyone tries to always avoid them. But for me, I, I I welcome challenges and I welcome tough fights. And And I've wrestled and trained with people that are more accomplished than him. And I've been able to take them down, control them, submit them, outstrike them, stop their takedowns. So, for me, it's not a matter of really who I'm fighting it's just about me showing up and and performing I'm sure he's very hungry and this is a good opportunity for him and uh you know I feel like maybe the UFC were like oh we got this guy who's a up-and-comer it was a really tough fight and we're gonna see if re- if Nick's the real deal or if if he's not and I kind of welcome that that's kind of the fight that I wanted and and that's what I'm looking forward to is is fighting a tough guy like this and I think style-wise, um, he's going to get really discouraged and it's going to be uh, a very tough fight. And I imagine that I'm going to have to maybe go through some tough times, but I've never had uh, trouble earning what I, what I want to accomplish and, and getting what's mine uh, the hard way.
0: Yeah, I was going to say you kind of alluded to it there, but if you could clarify a little further, it sounds like you feel like this is a fair matchup. Like you got, you got a fair degree of difficulty in an opponent.
2: Yeah, no, I think he's, I think he's very tough. I think he's good. You know, I think it's cliche to say all my opponents sucks. I'm, I'm, I'm going to destroy him. I'm going to run through him. And I mean, you know, he, it could be a tough fight, but I'm, I'm ready for that. I'm ready. If, if, if it's hard to dig deep and I've been training to, to take him out, you know, he's, he's a fast starter. Um, he comes forward, he tries to finish quick and, and that really doesn't bode well against someone like me I I fight well against people like that so for me it's as soon as I I saw that I was like oh this is a great fight this is this is what I've been looking forward to I'm I'm hungry for this this is what I want so um I couldn't honestly I I couldn't be happier with with the fight you know um I think it, it's a it's a good fight and I and I'm looking forward to it and it's very motivating to um to have it you know so
0: do you watch the show at all the watch tuesday night contender series
2: uh i watch the the highlights i have ufc fight pass but i i mean on the east coast i train till about nine o'clock and then, like nine thirty, cool down. And then, by the time I get home, it's ten o'clock, and the show's over. You know, so yeah. I, uh, I, w- <laughs> I, shouldn't be saying that, but it's the truth. So I watch it. Um, I usually I watch it like either afterwards, or I just kind of watch some of the highlights. All
0: right. The reason why I ask is because there's an interesting way to get a contract on there. Now, it's not true that if it goes into the third round you can't get a contract. We saw a guy last week get that very thing. But it does appear to me that the sooner that fight is over, the better your chances. So I'm wondering, does that reality affect your game plan where it's not just about winning or losing, it's about winning a certain kind of way and with a certain kind of speed?
2: Yeah, I I, I do notice that. I do follow that. And obviously, whenever an East Coast guy... Fights on that show. I, I watch it every single time. Um, no, it doesn't really make a difference to me. I'm gonna go out there and I'm gonna win. I never really try to finish fights fast. It just happens, you know. I have 11 first round wins and then two more as an amateur. So I've been known to take people out pretty quick and and and, and good fighters too. So. I think if I come in level-headed and calm, and I I can get it done, you know, as opposed to someone that's just coming out like a bat out of hell, trying to finish quick because they want this contract. I'm I'm just trying to win.
0: I don't know if you saw it. I forget which fight it was. But Dana White was speaking to the media. It was not the most recent one. It was several events ago, but I can no longer keep them straight, uh, despite that being my primary occupation to do so. Anyway, long story short, Dana White was asked about you. And he was saying, yeah, you know, look, if uh, if Nick goes in there and destroys this guy, I will look like a genius. And and if you lose, there will be bad press about how you let in a guy with this condition. Let me ask you about that argument. I have found that argument to be total bullshit from day one, in part because of what happened with you and Justin Gaethje. Like this, this tidal wave of criticism that was supposed to happen when you lost, right? It never materialized. Do you, are you surprised that in 2018, this is still a thing people trot out?
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously people always talk shit whenever someone loses, you know, anytime a a fighter loses, I'll retire or you should be done or he should have never been in there. And it's the same with me. They just use it as, as my arm, you know? And I think that Dana is putting too much weight into what people that are just going to talk trash about him, no matter what have to say. But all the knowledgeable people, I've never heard one fighter that's that's in there and knowledgeable say, "Oh, Nick doesn't deserve a chance; he's going to get hurt." No one says that. Um, all the fighters that I've trained with, especially, uh, know that I'm ready. And the the high level ones out there that I've trained with know that I'm ready and I'm good to go. And people's, I just don't really care about people's opinions. I don't care what people. Think about me. I never even really looked at myself as being that different until I became like popular from fighting and people are telling me what I can't do while I'm already doing it. And when I lost to Justin Gagey, you know, that was, that was a good fight. Um, but he won and the world kept going and kept turning. And my next fight for WSOF, I was a co event and the place was going absolutely insane. And, uh, afterwards everyone started to leave (laughs) and like the announcer was like begging people to to stay like please stay we got a great main event um we want we want everyone in the crowd to be here for the main event but everyone just left and uh and that's a testament to to the kind of crowd that i bring in and the people that want to see me and my my draw value and i don't think it it goes down anymore with a loss for challenging myself. I I feel like some people look at me like I'm the only fighter in the world. That's not allowed to ever lose a fight. If I lose one, then I should never been fighting in the first place, which is ridiculous. All I want is an equal chance like everyone else. And I want these tough fights and, and you know, maybe I, maybe I do have a little bit of a, a chip on my shoulder, but um you know, it has nothing to do with me having one hand. It just has something to do with me being a competitor two part question how's the weight and
0: secondly what is your theory for why no one has ever missed weight for the contender series show
2: uh cuz they're hungry they're they're young and and hungry and sometimes these guys in the the UFC they um they get content and maybe they don't train as hard as they should or something like that um you know you, you never have to worry about me missing weight i uh I think I'm not the biggest one fifty five pounder, but I'm on the bigger end. Uh, I think it's a reasonable weight class for me. And you know I made one fifty before, which I thought was a big mistake. Um, that was a horrible horrible thing, but uh one fifty five is a is a good home for me and and I'm gonna make weight. no problem. I'm already under uh, one seventy and i feel I feel great when do you leave for vegas by the way uh saturday saturday i head out to vegas right on
0: uh okay hey i was told i don't know if this is true so please correct the record is it true that you have you've not advanced past the nintendo 64 like you just gave up on video games at the 64 is that true
2: uh yeah i don't know where you heard that it's it's i gave up on um well now i've given up because it's just too much i just don't have enough time i just love nintendo 64 uh i have a collection i have probably close to probably have like 80 games maybe uh and 64 games i have an xbox 360 and a playstation 2 but i just didn't like them The same, and then eventually uh, I just kind of gave up on it, and I'm like, I'm just going to play games that I like. So I'm a big-time 64 guy, and if anyone wants to play me, uh, you know where to find me. Uh, By the way, I just bought, I I don't don't know if you've seen these,
0: I got the retro uh, NES, the Nintendo system, but it's it's like not much bigger than an iPad. It's super small. It's got 30 games built into it. It's like the greatest purchase I've made, 60 bucks. Can't go wrong with it. You got to get it.
2: Yeah, I have a modded I have a modded old Xbox, not legal, but um it has like every Nintendo Super Nintendo game on it, but I hate not playing it on the original controller. So uh that would definitely be something I, I'd have to check into. And by the way, why are you a cat guy? Does that mean you're not a dog guy? No man, come on. That's that's wild. I like dogs, okay? I don't hate dogs. I just love <laughs> cats. I love my cats. And and I don't care what anyone says. And people that people talk trash about cats come over to my house and like, oh, your cats are cool. I'm like, yeah, man. I, I we just chill all the time, and they sit on your lap, and you don't have to take them outside to go to the bathroom. One second, one second.
0: Yeah, yeah. Bring them. Oh, hell yeah. By the way, I'm an owner of two dogs. There he is. Look at him. What's at his this name? Guy.
2: This is uh, Boba. Like Boba Fett. After, yeah, after Boba Fett.
0: He's not much of a bounty hunter, is he?
2: Uh, yeah, he's kind of a little baby. He's he's a good cat though. He's very friendly. All
0: right. What's the biggest misconception about cats?
2: Um, that they're mean, they don't like people. They don't follow you around. This guy follows me everywhere and he's hanging out with me all the time. I just, I don't care what people think. I don't care what people have to say about me, you know? And, and, uh, and I love my cats just like I love fighting and people say I shouldn't fight you know, or, or this or that. And people say, oh, well, you don't like dogs. Like, of course I like dogs. I just like cats too.
0: You know what? <laughs> we got to let you go, but I wanted to tell you this. I'm supposed to remain objective in this in this role, but that's not real. No one really is objective in this role. I certainly have not one thing against Alex Munoz. And if the the fates uh, decides that he's a rightful winner, then so be it. But I have to tell you, Nick, I've been watching your career for a long time. I met you in studio at MMA Uncensored Live six years ago it would be nice to see you stick it to the haters. I will admit that on air.
2: Yeah, it would be nice. You know, it's uh, easier said than done, but I'm making it easier uh, easier to be done every day when I'm out there busting my ass to to get it done. And, and confidence is definitely on my side, and I have some great momentum, and I have a fantastic team. I had a great camp, and uh, I couldn't honestly feel like all the pieces are are coming together for a great performance. No excuses, one way or the other, right? Yeah, hell, hell no. You know, uh, I've I I definitely I've lost so many times in in wrestling and in life that I, I've learned it's made me appreciate winning that much more, and it's made me learn how to do everything right to make sure you do win, and it's helped me keep a level head. And uh, the better man's gonna win. The better man's gonna win on this day, and. Nothing against him. It's just that I'm I'm ready, and I'm ready to, to really put on a show. And I think I'm going to surprise a lot of people, and I'm going to certainly surprise him. Tuesday, July 24th. People say this all the time. This is the most cliche thing that anyone ever said, ever. You never fought anyone like me. You can't train for someone like me. Every fighter says that, but how many fighters is that true for?
0: You make a compelling point. I can't wait to watch it. Nick Newell takes on Alex Munoz Tuesday, July twenty fourth, on Fight Pass as part of Dana Weiss' Tuesday Night Contender Series. It's the main event, no less. Nick, can't wait to see your fight. Thank you so much for your time, and your cats are cool, man.
2: Thank you, and I'll come visit. You. I'll come visit you after I win.
0: Yeah, come in studio. That'd be great. Yeah. All right, buddy. Take care. Okay. I'll see you. There he goes. All right, man. What a guy. What a guy, right? I met him in studio. God, he was there uh, in uh, 2012 in uh, Times Square. He came in studio and <laughs> I won't say which fighter, but if another fighter grabbed him by his arm on the congenital amputation and kind of looked at it like, eh, like he didn't know what to make of it. It was a very, I don't know, uh, direct way of meeting Nick Newell, this person did, but uh, I, look, I don't know Alex Munoz. I'm sure he is a tr- tremendous guy. I don't wish anybody ill will. The right, the, the right man should win. But in an abstract sense, it would be kind of nice to see, uh, to see him stick it to the critics. It really would. But he's got to earn it. He's got to earn it like everybody else. Now, we're going to be joined by Chael Sonnen in about um, seven or eight minutes or so. But I wanted to make a comment, if I could, not about this fight, not about the stuff from over the weekend. And we'll get to some of the Bellator results, by the way, when Chael is on, because we haven't even talked about that yet. And there's a couple of things I, wanna, I want to talk to him about. But I want to make a comment, if I could. There was a bit of a, a common theme from the weekend. You had Chad Mendes coming back. You had Junior Dos Santos coming back. Now, Chad's case, again, I have mentioned that I am not particularly bothered. I think this idea that people who use are dirty and people who uh, take uh, performance enhancing drugs, if in fact he did, uh, again, I don't know that the psoriasis cream thing is all that plausible. But it, it, this is an ancient way of thinking that really is not supported by the evidence anymore. But in any case, he did his two years. But he's back right? JDS was hemmed up in a totally ridiculous scenario. Ian Kidd of Bloody Elbow has highlighted what had gone wrong for him. Uh, I recommend looking that up. But I just want to point out here, uh, I don't bring this up to not, I don't bring this up to argue that the penalties are not harsh. In fact, they're too harsh. But I do bring this up to point out that there are, that these fighters are so perseverant and patient. And there is some reason to acknowledge as much after the fact. Here's my point. You look at Tim Means. You look at Joel Romero. You look at Josh Barnett from this past weekend. You look at Chad Mendez, You look at Junior Dos Santos. What do you find with that? Some of them may have used, some of them may have not used. Many of the ones I've mentioned, in fact, really all but one, um, uh, fought their charges, right? JDS fought them. Tim Means fought them. Yoel Romero fought them. Josh Barnett famously fought them, being totally exonerated in the end. And nevertheless, many of them still lost time, some more than others. uh, In the case of Josh Barnett, uh, well over a year he lost. But what does it tell you? It tells you that the system that we have right now in anti-doping, It is in desperate need of reformation. It is archaic. It is a zero-tolerance policy that can't possibly work. It won't work. You can mark my words now. It will fail. It is destined to crumble. But in the meantime, by being zero-tolerance, it is incredibly punitive. Incredibly punitive. Often in unfair ways against the meanses, against the Barnetts, against the JDSs in a manner that should not be the way that it is. And I have said this about their money. I will say this about the anti-doping because I brought it up with Reebok. I brought it up with everything else. Uh, As as upset as I am about the current state of things, the fighters have a responsibility long-term to fix this. I can raise as much hell as I want. I cannot fix it. Everyone else in MMA media can raise as much hell. They cannot fix it. Fighters, if you are listening, if you are watching, the cavalry is not... Coming. It is not coming. If you want things to be better, you have to fix them. But there is a bright note that should be acknowledged here. And that is whether you served out a suspension that was fair or not, there can be life after you saw the punishments. It is not to say that those punishments are fair. It is not to say that the system doesn't deserve. Reformation. It is not to say that there is something absolutely borderline, well, I won't say criminal, but certainly deeply unethical about this system being forced on fighters and them having to live inside of it with very few rights. All of that is true, but it is also true that these fighters show incredible perseverance in dealing with it. I mentioned last week on the show, in light of what happened to Max Holloway, a very different scenario. But nevertheless, there is a common thread there. We ask way too much of these fighters, too much media. We don't pay them enough. The amount of training they have to do, the amount of active recovery they have to do, the amount of specific kinds of training they have to do, the volume they have to do, the travel they have to do. And then we put them out there in fights, and we don't really have cornering that takes long-term injury into consideration, or even what it might mean to have short-term problems as a result of a breaking an arm or whatever the hell else is going on. All of these things are true. We are breaking these people. We are breaking them. But what you're finding is, even through all of those challenges, they are persevering. And so whatever happened with Chad Mendez, I don't know, but it was great to see him back. And Junior Dos Santos exonerating himself, it was great to see him back. And it just, I just wanted to take a moment on this show to tell those guys, the ones who have pushed through and the ones who are to come and will have their name dragged through the mud and will have to prove through some kind of investigation that they did nothing wrong other than trust, even in the case of Junior Dos Santos, a uh, well-established point of sale that there can be life when you come back. You can rise again. You can make this happen. And I don't need necessarily to tell them that because they are showing that perseverance without any kind of coaching from the outside. But I was sort of heartened by the return of them. I was heartened to see that they had made a pushback. And um, more needs to be done, but that was an important moment, I think. All right. All right. It is time, ladies and gentlemen, we step away from what we've talked about and move into another segment right here. This is the Monday Morning Analyst. Joining me now on the hotline to get this going is a man who was calling the fights for Bellator 202 over the weekend. I mean, this guy is everywhere. You can catch him on Ariel and the Bad Guy from our former colleague, Ariel Hawani, on ESPN+. He's got his own podcast. He's got a crazy YouTube channel. He's fighting for Bellator. He's doing everything under the sun. The one and only Chael Sonnen joins the show. Chael, how are you? Luke, I am awesome. What's going on, man? How do you sleep, Chael? And better question, when do you sleep?
4: I hate it. I don't like sleep, and I hate days off. Days off are my least favorite thing. If I look at my calendar and say i got nothing to do the next day. So I like to stay busy, man. I, pre- I prefer to participate. Uh,
0: all right, so you did a great job commentating. I thought you and Sean Grande, was that the first time it was a two-man booth for
4: you guys? Yeah, I haven't got to work with Sean. I mean, I've worked with him. It used to be he, Jimmy, and I. Uh, they both went, uh, Sean, to basketball. Jimmy went over to the UFC. So I've never worked with just Jimmy and that I loved it. I mean, uh, or Sean, rather. I, I loved it. He was, uh, you know, he's he's a pro, and uh, he was fun. How's Stackerville, by the way? I like it. You know what? It's so funny. I can hear that in your tone, and so many people do not. And they, uh, I don't know anything about it. I mean, they talk about, like, the smoke casino. I, I don't even notice it. I have no. My, my aunt used to smoke. I, I, I don't know. I love it. I love going. There's a direct flight for me, a little pizza restaurant in there that's open till 3 in the morning. I get a kick out of going.
0: All right, let's start with, to me, the most impressive performance of that night. You had Michael McDonald defeating Eduardo Dantas at 58 seconds into the first round. Now, we'll get to the injury later, but my God, Michael McDonald, what power he has to the point where he thinks his left hand is now broken. I believe that it is. And what he said, Shale, was something quite interesting, which was my body simply is not, uh, not an appropriate vessel for the power it can generate. Have you ever heard of something like that before?
4: Uh, I've never heard it like that. And, you know, as arrogant as it sounds to reread that, he was just trying to answer the question. He was just saying, look, I hit too hard. And I can tell you this, Luke, I've never broke my hand. But the reason I've never broke my hand is I don't hit hard enough. So, I mean, there is a reality to that, that some of those power punchers, and you'll remember back to the, the early nineties when wrapping your hand, uh, in some organizations was, uh, illegal and in some was optional. Uh, the wrestlers never wrapped their hands because they didn't hit hard enough. They didn't have to worry about protecting your hand. It's just a reality. So yeah, it does appear. I mean, he broke his right hand in his previous fight. Now he's broken his left hand in this fight. There's only 58 seconds. I believe him. I think he hits too damn hard.
0: If he's going to be six surgeries deep on his hands, is that too many to continue fighting?
4: No, I don't think it would be too many. Uh, At the same time, I don't know that it wouldn't be too many. I just, I don't know that there's an actual rule on that, but he might have to change his style. Uh, You know, the guy can wrestle really well, um, you know, to tell a fist fighter to go into a fist fight and not throw as hard as he can is a little bit ridiculous. However, if he keeps on breaking his hands, he might have to do just that. So I'm not really sure what he's going to do. I've always thought he was a really good fighter. He was one of those guys when Scott Coker signed him. Uh, I I knew there was something special going to happen there. You know, his was different. I don't know if you heard about his signing. It was nothing like Machida, where, you know, he's got a top manager in Ed Soros that can make a phone call, and boom. then all of a sudden, Machida's name's on the table, and you go back and forth and get a contract. And it wasn't like that. McDonald disappeared. He was in California. I think he was, you know, maybe working at a gym or training, something like that. But he was gone. He left the scene. He didn't even have a contact with Bellator. Bellator got on a uh, – Went and found him. I think it was Mike Coke and Went, drove out there, found him and said, hey, what are you doing with your life and how come you're not fighting? They basically went and recruited him. A lot of people don't know that story. I think it's a compelling story. That's the only reason he's even in there. He was like, I didn't know you guys wanted me. So yeah, we do want you. Let's get a contract. He said, okay. That's why he'd be out of the sport completely.
0: Yeah, which is a shame because it would have been a shame rather if we had... Uh, not had a chance to see his career fully materialize, although I guess we'll see what happens going forward. But speaking of Eduardo Dantas, what do you make of that injury? First of all, I mean, obviously it's gruesome, but th- th- how much of a role did it play ultimately in the outcome?
4: Yes, yeah, You know, so Dantas is so good. If, if he's not out there defending a world championship, he's out there fighting for world championships. This was like his first three round fight in, in a meaningful period of time, many years, uh, I just think he's great, but yeah, so for the fans that didn't see it, they're on their feet, they're trading punches, McDonald clips, and when Dantas goes down, and we didn't know this at the time, we just knew he went down and the fight needed to be stopped, watched it on replay together, McDonald, all of us together, I missed it, he missed everybody. Uh, when Dantes goes down, he rolls over his ankle and it was just nasty. Uh, you know, Krokop had done this to his leg when Gonzaga kicked him, but it turned out Krokop's leg was okay. But if you'll remember, when we all saw the replay, the the way the leg was, we're going, Oh my gosh, that could have been terrible. And it was for Dantes. I, I read this morning on an internet feed that uh, that it was broken and that he's going to have to have surgery. We knew something was very bad, but whether it was dislocated, you know, it's all discombobulated, but we didn't know if that, if that meant that it was separated or, or a break. His side is now saying it's a break and he's got to have surgery today. Uh, what's the worst injury you've ever suffered
0: in a sporting competition?
4: Yeah. So uh, nothing that would compare to this. Um, the most painful was I think a broken nose and, uh, that wasn't even all that painful. It ended my, my practice for the day. Getting it reset uh, it did hurt very bad. But um uh, but that's it. I I've been really uh I guess you would call it lucky.
0: You've never like uh separated a rib or something like that?
4: Uh yeah, I guess I have and that hurt pretty bad too. I would put the nose over that. I had a fight with Nate Marcourt and he broke my sternum. Um, but that sounds a lot worse than it is. It was it was like a, a fracture and a the the pain wasn't all that bad. The nose really hurt. You this might be a weird one. Do you want to know what else hurts? Is a broken uh finger. I shattered my thumb one time, which just meant it, it, it's broken in at least three places. Uh that hurt really bad. But I think in the world of injuries, fighters would go, Man, you you came out all right. So let's talk about Chris
0: Honeycutt, who's also on this card. You know him as well as I do, runner up at Edinburgh uh, incredible wrestler, right? But where is he in that in that uh, space at middleweight in in Bellator? Like, on the one hand, he's made incredible improvements. On the other hand, I thought he'd be a. Or maybe it's unfair of me, but I kind of thought he'd be a little bit further along.
4: Yeah, I don't think that's unfair. I, I don't. Uh, I don't mind those kind of discussions at all because uh, he's got to hear him. And what what he's missing is is very hard for me to say. Athletically. He's a talent. Uh, mentally, he's a talent. You know, he works hard. He prepares for fights. He just took out a, a two-time Olympian uh, over the weekend. And I don't think most people knew that. It was a situation where, uh, you know, bringing the right attention and getting the right praise is is part of the game, and it, it's really hard to do. And it's kind of a hindsight issue whether it works out or not. For the guys that it works out for, they act like they're some kind of geniuses and understand how to promote a career. For the guys that don't, we dismiss them. But it, it's neither of those things. You go out, you do the fights you can, and you just hope that it catches on and people know the stories behind them. So I thought that Honeycutt looked great. I think he looked great in his whole career. I thought he beat Lovato Jr., for that matter. I thought the judges had that one mm-hmm. wrong. So yeah, you know, I think he's close to undefeated. I I know that he's a real talent by watching him, but as far as catching on and getting that attention, uh, and getting those accolades, that's tough. Sometimes that's up to guys like you and I, Luke, to make sure we tell the story to everybody else.
0: Yeah, well, uh, I've certainly interviewed him a number of times. I think highly of him. I would just like to see, a, I guess, a little. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what I'm looking for exactly, but I feel like something's missing, and I can't quite put my finger on it. Cause it's not like he's having like boring fights.
4: I agree with you. You know, I think that uh, Anthony Smith over in the UFC is a a good comparison. And maybe he's coming out of his shell now. He's going to fight Shogun and it's a main event. But he's another one of those guys where I look at, you know, Monday morning after he fights on the weekend and go, hey, guys, why are you not doing more with him? Right? He's he's the right age. He's the right look. He's definitely the right look. I mean, if that guy doesn't look like a cage fighter, who does? Uh, He's the right style. He's got the finishes that you guys covet so much. What's going on here? And I, I do feel the same with Honeycut a little bit, but it's only something that, you know, after the fact, it's only something where you go, Hey, wait a minute. We, we missed this. That should have been promoted higher. So yeah, I agree with you that something's missing. Um, and, and I think he could steer himself just a little bit with, with, you know, certain callouts outs and, and look for, for guys that could get him a little bit more attention. But skill wise, I'm impressed with the guy.
0: I was having a point earlier. If you disagree, by all means, please tell me. But there's this notion in MMA where we kind of you
4: know I will, Luke. I think you
0: know I will. Sometimes I have to tell guests to disagree because they don't want to. But fair enough. I know you know how this works. The point being is this: that we have this 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 expectation in MMA that we want referees to be wallflowers and not and not. Uh, make toxic the purity of a natural fight. And I don't buy that at all. My point was, if you watch collegiate wrestling, the referees, the good ones, they are on the whistle. Now, I don't want them that much involved, but I do believe there's a case. To, this is an entertainment product at the end of the day, and we don't do enough about stalling anyway. Should referees be more involved or less involved?
4: Yeah, that's an interesting one on stalling. Uh, I, I think you're asking that because uh, because Herb Dean stalks, uh, stopped some action uh, recently and told the guys to engage. Luke, I don't know. And and here's where I'm coming from. I just don't know what the statute is on that. I, I remember seeing referees a couple of times. happen over Bellator at the uh, weekend, too. But when a referee steps in and says, hey, I need more action, you got to engage more. I'm just wondering, per the commission, is that a rule? In, in wrestling, it is. We call it stalling and you must be going forward and the referee can warn you and he would take points. I don't know in fighting if that is a statute and if the referee has the right to do that. I just, I don't actually know the rule on it, and so it does that a little bit awkwardly with me when a referee is influenced by the crowd and uses the crowd to influence uh, a contest. I just don't know if that's within their parameter.
0: Let's let's assume that you could write the rules. How would you write them for a referee's responsibility for stalling in mixed martial arts?
4: Yeah, tough one, huh? Um, Because in wrestling, you cannot go backwards. I don't know if people know if you If you go backwards in wrestling, you are now stalling. You must be coming forward or standing your ground. So it's pretty easy to define, but that's not the case in boxing, right? Sugar Ray Robinson never went forward. He even ran five miles a day backwards. Muhammad Ali liked to go backwards. Floyd Mayweather likes to go backwards. So you can't just dismiss going backwards in a fight. It, it, it is effective, particularly if you get the other guy to chase you. So my point being is, Going backwards doesn't mean you're stalling. So what does? And of course we know it when we see it, we see guys resting up against the fence. We see guys resting in certain positions, looking to advance, not like looking to do damage. Um, But I do hear misconceptions, too, that if you're not looking to finish the fight, you know, finish the fight is is like the new dialogue. But I can remember the first time Dana White said it in 2005. Everybody in the room cringed. You know, finish him is something we only saw in Hollywood up to that point. And that was when a guy was about to get his head chopped off. It It was like this vernacular where everybody oozed and cringed as we were trying to get the sport legalized in all the states. New York was a big holdout. Now, not only is it an accepted term, it's used. And now not only is it used, if you're not finishing fights, so they'll affect your ranking. So it's it's very weird and very funny and very interesting how that that, that dialogue changed. I guess the point I'm trying to get at is, is now I hear announcers, I hear people saying, well, you're not looking to finish. And there's a part of me going, yeah, that's that's not actually a rule. That's something that, that Dana has said in 2005 was resisted, has now caught on, and now with make-believe land, you guys are acting as though that's a rule, which it's not, and it never will be. Could you imagine a government agency that does oversight writing in that you must finish or be trying to finish your opponent? My, uh, that's That sits very uneasy with me, and I'm not a prude on these things, but that, so- that doesn't sit well.
0: Yeah, I would share your your concern there. One thing I had talked about earlier in the show that was raised by one of our tweeters was this notion of the hammer fist. You had two hammer fist finishes this week, one by Nico Price right off of his back, and then another one, Sage Northcutt, in a more traditional circumstance. But the one by Nico Price was really interesting, totally off of his back, almost from like a a, a somewhat of a guard position. First shot puts Randy Brown out. Uh, incredible, incredible shot. Here's my question to you. Are are people getting better at hammer fisting? Is that a thing?
4: You know, I, I, I we're now practicing it in the room uh, for a couple of reasons. You know, first off, that part of your hand is pretty solid. Uh, we all make fun of the karate guys that are out there breaking bricks and doing these other things. and But the bottom line is that part of your hand is really solid. It's also the part that isn't covered by the glove. A palm strike, I think, will be the next one. You know, to, u- to use your palm and realize that part isn't covered or padded, Um, So, yes, it is a thing to answer you there. Uh, But secondly, I agree, Nico Price, that was amazing. If I may tell you, the hardest I've ever been hit in my life uh, was by Damian Maya. And if you can picture this position, he's in guard, I'm on top. He reaches for my far arm like a very traditional, uh, basic Kimura. He doesn't get it when he reaches. So now his body's turned, right? He's turned his body and his shoulder to get the Kimura. As he resets his body and comes back to center, he comes back with a hammer fist, hit me in the face. Luke, He knocked me out. I mean, even though I didn't go to sleep, I was done. It took like two days before I could get the feeling back in my legs. And uh, it was sneaky. I didn't know it was coming. And at the same time, that was my only experience with a hammer fist. But it was harder than hell.
0: Hmm. How much has the science of ground and pound developed in the last five years? In your your estimation?
4: You know... Yeah, for development, I, I, some of the positions are different. Like you know, we used to just get on top of a guy, and, and then it was kind of a free for all. I, I mean, it wasn't really trained and specific. The, the, the most, the advanced guys, a Randy Couture, Tito Ortiz, would pin guys into the fence and then sit up and start using the elbows. But they did at least have the strategy of pinning them in the fence first. Uh, and that, but that was like high level. At that time, still so as simple as that sounds, the guys that were as forward thinking as to pin them in the fence before. You started using the elbows were, were really advanced. Now you're seeing stuff like Khabib Nurmagomedov is doing stuff with his legs that I think some people are missing. He, he's on top. He's trapping legs with his legs to immobilize the opponent. And then he started to do his ground and pound. So I do think that it's advancing. I think some of the, the, the wrist traps and the arm traps to open your opponent and stop him from defending are getting better and better. But um it would be tough for me to glamorize it too much. It, it is kind of a position where you just know what to do. You just People just understand that if you're on top of a guy in a fight, it's pretty easy to sit up and disengage and start start raining down. But the, the other side of it is it's also kind of easy to defend. You bring your hands up, you defend, you, you roll left, you roll left right so the referee knows you're okay. You wait for the guy to get tired and stop.
0: Aside from Michael McDonald, who in your mind in all of combat sports over the weekend had the most impressive win? Would it be Koreshkov? Would it be, I don't know, Chad Mendez, Maybe even Sage Northcutt to an extent? Who really stood out to you?
4: Sage surprised me. I would have to say that in fairness, but I got to give it to Junior, you know, overall Junior Dos Santos, uh, particularly just because it was five rounds, you know, and he did go in there with a the guy. He said this in his post fight interview, but it really was true. And he deserved credit. The guy had only lost one fight. in his whole life, uh, and Junior went out there and he, he held up the pace. I thought holding a pace at 25 minutes and, and still going hard and still attacking when you've been on the shelf for a year, I imagine he dealt with some depression and some embarrassment. And uh, the fact that he's able to shake it all and, and and come and perform like that, you know, he called out Stepe, which I, I liked, uh, you know, I, I don't know what else to do with Stipe right now. I think he either given back to Cormier, which isn't likely to happen uh, in the world of fairness or, Why not Junior? You know, let's let's see that part three. So uh, I thought he just did everything right. I got to give it to Junior.
0: Um, Speaking of which, Stipe had mentioned that uh, today, this morning, he told Brett Okamoto that he wanted a rematch with Cormier. I, I don't know, like how much of that first fight do you feel like is not repeatable by Cormier?
4: Yeah, I mean Cormier definitely caught him. You know, you call the lucky puncher, however that's. Uh I mean, he did catch him. It, you know, as I, I close my eyes and envision that fight, you know, for 5 months leading up to it, uh I sure didn't see a knockout on the feed in the first round by by Daniel Cormier. I, w- I would be stunned if anybody cashed a ticket uh at a Vegas casino having made that bet. And so I, I do think that um, if Stepe made more of that and said, Hey, listen, I'm not disputing. It was fast. I'm not disputing. I lost. I'm saying he got lucky. I think he needs to bring the focus and attention to that because I think it's a fair argument. I also like what he said. I mean, to make the most compelling argument. He just said, I deserve it. And that that's, the one that's going to be hard to resist it's like yes stipe does deserve something i don't know that he's ever asked for anything i'm a supporter of dc getting brock i realize the brock participation is not warranted i support it because dc wants it i I do think daniel Cormier deserves something uh for all the trials and tribulations that he's gone through for all the opponents that he's fought in different weight classes at different organizations if he's got one ask and he has the opportunity to get it i think that um that we need to give it to him. But the same argument would hold up for Stipe. I don't, I don't know that he's ever asked for anything. So don't completely ignore him. Let me ask
0: you about something you did on your YouTube channel. And I think it was on your podcast as well, but I caught it. I caught it uh, on YouTube. You had an interview with Colby Covington. I've interviewed Colby a number of times, but it's far and away the best interview with him ever. in my judgment, I will give you credit for that. It was really, really good. Thank you, buddy. Um, what do you make of Colby? You know you get compared to him a lot. Let me tell you where I'm coming from on this. He and I could not see the world more differently, but the fact that everyone is enraged by him and or wishes to deny he's doing anything tells me he's doing exactly the thing that people say he's not actually doing.
4: Yeah, so uh, he's the first uh, the, the first guy in fighting. In many ways, uh, he's going to you know reinvent the sport. And is that for better or worse? Time will tell, and then you can decide, but people are going to start copying. He's the first guy, Luke, ever to come out and say, I'm just here to entertain you. So, yes, it's an act, and, and yes, it's a performance, but here it is, and you guys seem to enjoy it. He's the first guy. The only guy that ever did that in wrestling was The Rock. Everybody else stayed in character and held the old kayfabe montage, uh, montage. but he's the first guy to come out and go, "Look, I'm just in it looking to entertain you. If the UFC isn't going to bring me cameras, I'll hire my own production crew i'll pay him but i'm going to get this content recorded and out to the masses they're scripted promos he'll admit they're scripted promos another thing that only the rock would do nobody else would ever admit to and uh i think that he's having fun now i've noticed that he's 11 years old it's going to be very hard for him to do anything uh that upsets me because i just understand it a little bit differently but i do think we're going to see guys start to copy him i think he's an innovator in many ways and again is that a good thing or a bad thing? We'll find out. But he does get credit for coming in, for me at least, from coming in and, and changing it. You know, he's, he is the first guy I've ever seen, Luke, who has hired his own camera companies to come and go, Hey, UFC, you're not going to do this for me? Great, no problem. I got some money. I'll make a phone call. I'll set the shot up myself. I think it's interesting, and it's clearly working.
0: So why are people trying to tell me that it's not?
4: I don't know. You know, you will hear that. that 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 is one of the stages of this. You know, I, I remember going through it too, and I had some advice uh, from Rowdy Roddy Piper, who said, "Hey, over time they're going to love you for the same stuff they hate you for today." And uh, you, you know, sure enough, if I wasn't delivering vitriol at times, they were disappointed. The same stuff that they hated me for, and it just what Rod Piper had told me. Turned out to be true. And so, you know, fans aren't always going to recognize it. Fans don't even know what they want at times. I hear fans say that they, they, they don't want the talking and, and all these things, but zero of those fans are watching these shows on mute. They, even they don't know. It's a subconscious thing. They're not aware that they is what they like. The fight takes 15 minutes. The buildup takes 90 days. It takes that for a reason. You and I are on this show with your massive audience for a reason, and we're not throwing punches at one another. So fans themselves don't even know what it is they like and what it is they want, and they don't need to. The fans get—that's not an insult. Fans get a pass, but it is up to the performer to be able to see through that and deliver, deliver his message.
0: Chael, you're one of the best. You're one of the brightest. Your YouTube channel, by the way, is just phenomenal. If you're not—if you guys haven't checked that out, you really should. It's—I like, mean—it's just perfect YouTube content delivered several times a day it seems like it i can't even keep up with all of it but you're doing a lot of good things chael can't wait to see your fight with fedor whenever they find out that's going to be and uh i really appreciate your time and insight today thank you very much
4: you're a good man see you luke
0: all right there he goes chael p sonnen stopping by the show all right uh we have just a few minutes left so i wanted to do something i got to give a shout out to somebody let me pull up my on instagram straight flexing my Trinidad James thingy. Hang on. This gentleman did something really nice for the show. So I want to say something nice about him. Okay. You guys, you got to follow somebody called, you know what? I'm not even following him until now. You got to follow somebody on Instagram called plastic cell. Plastic cell is the guy you got to go to. He did something for the show. Now You guys all know that I start the show, the radio show and this show, by saying Caesar is home. Where does that come from? Well, technically, it comes from Planet of the Apes, where Caesar whispers in, what was that douchebag's name's ear? Um, Danny Segura, what's the guy's ear? What's the guy's name? He's the, and Caesar goes, Caesar is home. James something? What's his name? I keep forgetting. James Franco. That's who it is. James Franco. He says it in his ear, but that's really not why I brought it to the show. I brought it to the show and I start every day with it because of a, my favorite rapper, rest in peace, Sean Price. There's a line from uh, price and shining armor and it's, um, indeed the groan, squeeze the Chrome, please believe it. And word, uh, Caesar's home. That's where it comes from. And I just thought that was one of the coolest things I'd ever heard. So, I always start the show with Caesar is Home. Well, check this out. This man, Plastic Cell, made something for me. We're going to put it here on the desk or up here somewhere, wherever. He made, and he signed the box. Now, I left the stand at home. I'll have to bring that next week. But he made a figurine, and I'll take it out of the bag here, of Caesar. Look at this from Planet of the Apes. Is that not the coolest thing you'd ever seen in your life? Now, it has a stand. You can see there's two holes in the bottom of the feet. So it's not going to hold for right now. Again, I'll bring the stand up next week. I apologize, Mr. Plastic Cell. He made this. The details in the face. I'll take a picture and I'll put it on my Instagram feed, Luke Thomas News. And you can see that it's absolutely incredible. So let me say... Go follow Plastic Cell on Instagram. He, we're not exchanging money. This is not an ad deal. It's just somebody did something nice, and I want to thank them for it. We're going to put this on the desk. I love gorilla imagery. Shouts to Calgary Barbell. They use it. Um, just, uh, and again, my favorite rapper uses it. I just love gorilla imagery, and this is just, just the absolute coolest. So we'll put this up here, and it was a twofer. He said that, and check this out. I'll tell you, I'll put this on the stand as well. Rory McDonald, after the uh, Lawler fight. Huh? How about that? Incredible, right? So, shouts to Plastic Cell. What a guy, or lady. I'm not even sure who it is, really, to be perfectly honest. But uh, pretty incredible stuff, I have to say. Now, Danny, if you could pop on the screen here, that'd be nice. I don't know if you can or not.
1: Can you? Yes? I'm here. Let's see you on the screen. There he is. What do you think about Caesar pretty sick. Actually, The Planet of the Apes is one of my favorite movies out there. And I'm talking about the original one. Like the original, the original like Cornelius, yeah, Charlton Heston, yeah. Walking like yeah. this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they could barely move the lips. Yeah. Cuz like, you know, they had the the whole And then suit.
0: there was the Mark Wahlberg version, but that sucked ass. Yeah, it wasn't bad. It was kind of it was kind of Oh no, no, it was, it was bad. The one where Caesar goes, "Caesar is home. Your boy was in the theater fist pumping and donkey kicking boy. I was I don't know. I love gorillas. What do you want me to say? Yeah, those movies are
1: sick. Um, do you ever listen to Sean Price? No. You listen to rap at all? Yeah, some, but probably some that you've never heard of. Maybe I don't know. The, well, I listen. to Is some it the kind where the rapper's pee sitting down? Uh, maybe I don't know. <laughs> you don't
0: quite get that. Um, no, I get it. My wife doesn't doesn't like rap because she says there's too much slang. Is there too much slang? There is. But so you came to this country a little younger than she did, so it's a little yeah. bit different. Um, in any case. I love this. I love this a lot. But we have two more additions to the studio today. You do, yes. yes.
1: One very good one. One not so.
0: Good. Now I don't know where to put these, so I'm willing to listen to any kind of advice
1: on this. Okay. But the first one is here. We go. So here, I'll give you some advice on that. So that one you can put in the trash. <laughs> the Columbia one you can hang. Why would you? Why would you? Why would you spoil that? Why, oh
0: God damn it! Will you? Jesus Christ. Hang on. Look at this. Look at this beauty, son. Look at that. Huh? We got to put that in studio, my friend. Look at that thing. Greatest club in the world, yes? Yes, yes it Pretty is. good look, club, Look yeah. at that crest. All right, and you ruined it because I don't know what's wrong with you. I had another one. I'm gonna I, add I didn't to this. say anything. You just it already is, told could me people. could be an
1: Atletico Madrid one. You don't, you don't no, know. No, you said Colombia,
0: donkey. You ruined, right you ruined it. You ruined it. Well, Surprise. Here, we're going to add this to the studio as well. This is more to your liking, isn't it? Yeah. Honestly, that has to go by default next to the Aguardiente. Oh, that's a good call. So I got this uh, in Bogota, Colombia. There's this. What would you call Monserrate? It's like uh, the super high a cathedral at the high, at the top of this mountain, at right? The top of the mountain, yep. And it's weird because people like are super religious there. I've seen people walk up there on their knees, yeah, like uh, genuflecting and like asking Whipping for because yeah. they're asking for they're asking for blessings essentially, right? When, like mom's mm-hmm. sick and and that kind of thing. But there's a gift shop at the top, and I got this there. Shocker! They still had soccer memorabilia at the there's top.
1: Soccer, their soccer stuff. Dude,
0: you know what's hilarious? I will drop my wife off to go vote at like various elections, and you know the Columbia polling station because everyone outside is wearing their soccer jersey. The jersey, yeah. it's the funniest you can shit wear ever. wear The
1: jersey anywhere? Yeah, dude. And
0: it's like it's like an ID card. It's got yeah. nothing to do with the actual uh, game. Ne- neither here nor there. Uh, so I got that there, and we got to figure out where to put that. Now I don't know where on this. I don't know menagerie of goodies. This is going to go. But we you're right. We could put the Columbia one next to the Aguadadiente. I don't know what to say about this one. Here's the last thing, though. And my wife brought this up to me, too. She goes, you don't have anything for the U.S. team. What are you going to do? I've been so bitter at them for failing to make the World Cup. But you know what? We got to get over it. Uh, we got to let that go. But I don't want to get another U.S. Mm-hmm. scarf. Yeah. We got to get something else. I don't know what that is. I don't think we have space to hang a jersey, but we got to represent Los Estados Unidos in here. I've got my Marine pictures looking like a handsome G.I. Joe, which I know I do. If you don't know that, this is for folks who may not know. This picture here is me at boot camp and my platoon. And that up there is me at uh, 18 years old. And if you look closely, my chin is swollen because I had taken, we did rifle manual. Where you ever seen those guys in the military? They take their weapons and they, they they like lock it into certain position. Yeah, it's called rifle manual. And I had I had jacked it up, and my drill instructor came by, and took the uh, hand guards, which is the sort of the the the, the longer end of it, M sixteen A two service rifle, and he jammed it into my face. And so what happened was the front sight post hit my chin, and my face exploded. So on this picture, if you look, the left side of my chin is all effed up. I didn't know it was bad because when you go through the chow, it was right outside the chow line. You can't look down. And, uh, and so I was going to the chow line. And the corner of my eye, I can tell everyone serving me food is like looking at me horrified. And I get to the end of the line and this other drill instructor who I didn't know pulls me out. He's like, hey, hey. Why are you bleeding? Like it's my fault or something. And I was like, so this recruit did not know he was bleeding. And I looked down and I was covered in blood. Oh, man. Covered in blood. I never told that story because I didn't want to get that drill instructor in trouble, but it doesn't matter anymore because that's actual abuse. Long story short, they cleaned it up and then put something on it to hide it. But you can actually see that day I got hit in the face with a front sight post and it blew everywhere. Did you get wobbled? Did I get wobbled? No, because I was so afraid. I was so afraid. I was like too afraid to be wobbled. Plus, it didn't like rock my brain. It just—it's just, mm-hmm. it's just uh, the front side post is like—it's like a little piercing needle, like kind of right there on my chin. Okay. okay, Yeah. yeah. Does that makes sense. Yeah. All right. What did we miss?
1: We miss anything? We we have a couple more questions from the sound off. If you want to tackle them, if you have a minute or not. How many? How many left do we have? Um, we got two more. Quickly, we can play one. Play one very quickly. Cool. This one is is about being an MMA fan. I think it's let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do do, it.
3: Hey guys, hey Luke, great job on the show. You're doing amazing. Uh, Darren from Toronto calling. I just wanted to call and get your
4: most recent definition of what a hardcore MMA
3: fan is. I'd like to consider myself a pretty strong fan. I watch every UFC event that happens, uh, every flagship Bellator event or tenfold Bellator event and uh but with with so many events happening so often now it's hard to keep up with everything and still have a regular life and uh i just like to know what you guys consider a hardcore mma fan thanks a lot once again you guys are doing a great job you're killing it keep it up
0: wow what a great call very very nice thank you so much to that gentleman for um great question and and yeah the kind sentiments i've always said remember it's very easy to send somebody a negative thing. It's very hard to send someone a nice thing. So when someone sends you a nice thing, they're taking extra special time another day to do that. The answer is it's so different from when I was coming up the, the last 10 to 12 years. It was at there was a time where you could watch just about everything. Now maybe not live, but it was pretty easy to get. There was a pride every so often. There was a UFC every so often. And then you could go to your regional MMA in your hometown, and that was more than enough. Now It's like, how would I define it? I don't know that there, it's like pornography with the Supreme Court. You know it when you see it kind of a thing, but there's not any hard and fast rules about it. I would say if you stayed up and watched five rounds of somebody fist fighting in a cage in Boise, Idaho on television, yeah, you're probably a hardcore fight fan. That to me would be enough. If you know what the PFL is and you're reasonably interested in it, if you even watch any of their undercards, you're
1: probably a hardcore fan at this point. I think that's a generally good rubric. I would agree. Yeah, there's so much MMA going on these days that you can't fault people to miss stuff. And sometimes you you feel like, man, maybe I'm not a hardcore because there's so much happening that it's hard to catch everything. But yeah, if you're staying up and watching uh, some event in Boise, Idaho, I, I'd say you're a pretty hardcore fan. Um, last call. Let's do it very fast. and I gotta get out of here because I gotta get up town. I gotta do three more hours of radio. All right, last one. This is specifically for you. All right.
4: Hey, Luke, it's Ben from College Station. Um, I was listening to your show on Sirius um, a couple weeks ago and heard that you were, if not friends with Ryan Hall, at least friendly. Um, And I was just wondering if you um, knew of what the state of his career was, because we haven't seen him fight since December of 2016, and I was super high on him from Ultimate Fighter. Thanks and keep up the good work.
0: Great question. I reached out to him recently. I have not heard back, not, we're not beefing or anything we're, I do consider him a friend. I don't see him all the time or anything like that, but he's been to my house to watch pay-per-views. This was before he was in the UFC and, um, you know, his, his, uh, one of his underlings, uh, Seth Smith, a black belt, at, in Richmond, Virginia out of upstream BJJ is a very, very good friend of mine. So, um, I do consider myself very friendly with Ryan Hall. I do not know. I do not know. Um, I know he was looking for some fights, and a couple of the right ones did not, in his mind, I think, come his way. So I think he passed on those opportunities. And I don't know what his current situation is. I've been trying to find out. You know what I'll do? I will reach out to him and see if I can figure out what the hell's going on. Because um, I did see him at the very first IBJJF DC Open, and we talked then. And I don't, he had the same update, which is he's still looking for a fight. Um, but yeah, I would love to see him back.
1: Yeah, he kind of fell off and he's he's quite in a streak. I mean, I just he's still training. Yeah. He's still training. He's in a 5-fight win streak. Yeah. 6-fight I yeah, be. I think he's been helping Kenny Florian a little bit. Like mm-hmm. he's out there,
0: he's still he's still putting in work. I uh, wonder Boy Thompson too. So, he's still training. I'd love to see him back one of the best. Ooh. Uh all right, man. Good work today. Well, mediocre work for you. I know I did great work, but you know, you did all right, all right? Thanks. I appreciate it. High energy. It's a yeah. high energy yeah. Monday, Danny's. Uh Danny Segura. All right, thank you, buddy. Don't forget, call our number, 844-866-2468 for uh, future calls. You can use the hashtag, the MMA hour. And until next time, thank you guys so much for watching. Stay frosty.